This is the Criterion Creeps Podcast. I'm Jared Duncan. I'm that, um, RJ. And we're just two guys who have no other choice now but to creep our way through the Criterion Collection one spine number at a time in order of release. This week, we're uniting the world in podcast form, way better than the Olympics, as we watch Spine 155 in the Criterion Collection, Khan Ishikawa's Tokyo Olympiad from 1965. But first, RJ, mm. nobody cares. About what? No one cares. No one cares about what you did this week. Oh, okay. That's fine. I'll just sit here and lick the cat's butt. That's weird. Do you know what the classic movie that line is from? What classic movie is that from? That's a little Wayne's World, Jarrett. Oh, see. I'm, you know I'm, about I'm, Wayne's I'm, World? I'm rusty on my uh, Mike Myers flicks. Well, what's your deal? It's been Bud. a long time since I watched those movies. You should rewatch them. They're really good. No, I don't remember them. I never liked them when I was a kid either. Everyone else liked them, and I was like pretending to like them, but I was never like really into those movies. You must have been a really shitty kid, hey? No, I just I guess I had taste, RJ. Taste. Well, I don't know. I, I wasn't into those whatever. What's her name? Penelope Spheris movies. Who the hell is Penelope Spheris? I, uh, director of the Wayne's World films. Oh, I, I just assumed Dana Carvey directed all of those. Has Dana Carvey directed anything? Yeah, the Wayne's Worlds. Oh, cool. What about the Master of Disguise? Ooh. Have you seen Master of Disguise, RJ? Of course I've seen Master of Disguise. I was like 11 when that came out. That was like my favorite movie. Really? Yeah, I, I own that shit on VHS. No, you don't. Maybe even DVD. No. I did. That's, that's what I'm saying. That's fucked up, man. Why? <laughs> that movie's uh, horrendous. Well, when did uh, when did it come out? Master of Disguise, two thousand one. Two thousand, yeah, sounds right. Uh, two thousand two. So I was twelve, uh, and yeah, that uh, I was all about that shit. Oof. That was a good movie. Very good. Well, indeed. did you know his name was Pistachio Disguisey? Um, you know, I'm just, looking, I'm just looking here. Perry Andalyn Blake is the director of the Master of Disguise film, and it's the only thing he ever directed. Hmm. Well, do you think it was because of that, or do you think it was because of uh, all that 9-11 controversy? Mm, hard to say. Mm. So, Penelope Spheris also directed The Little Rascals? Yeah, that sounds... What a coincidence, because there is a star actor from The Little Rascals uh, who I got I enjoyed watching for almost five hours this week. Well, well, well. Well, well, let's uh, bury that lead there and keep going. Fake Danny? Fake Danny. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, uh, my favorite of her movies, I haven't seen the decline of um, civilization music documentaries uh, Mm -hmm. that I guess she's probably most known for. But uh, she also directed this, like, really nice little movie called The Boys Next Door uh, starring Charlie Sheen. And it's kind of just, like, dudes being shitty criminals, like, just pieces of shit. Uh, it's like a total like 80s obscurity that no one talks about. It has no like real great release on it at all, which is too bad because, uh, yeah, it's pretty good. These two high school dudes who get bored and just start killing people. Just think, RJ, if they grew up in this age, they would have a podcast. What would their podcast be about? Killing people. Oh. Um, would they be like podcast journalists? Yeah. Um audio representatives is that what they're going for now i don't know that sounds pretty horrible it, it does it really does mm-hmm. well good 
Well, I don't give a shit about what you did this week either. How's that sound? Sounds awesome. Hey, RJ. Nice. What? We got emails. How many? Three. Any whoppers? Uh, they're, They're always big and thick on this podcast. No, you regretted it as immediately as you said it, didn't you? Sam Sanchez. Uh-huh. This email entitled White Mexican. Uh-oh. See, look what you did. Uh, I knew. See, I hey. knew as soon as you said that, remember? Hello, guys. Resident white Mexican creep here. Just oh. writing in with a few things after a few weeks of silence. To answer a question that no one asked me to answer about mm. which titles we would like from Criterion in the future, I got a couple. Actually, mm-hmm. in an ideal world, Criterion, Indicator, Arrow, and Vinegar Syndrome would release pretty much anything of any remote interest. Uh, hauler. Uh, so these necessarily wouldn't have to be strictly Criterion, but since this is the Criterion Creeps, here would be my top Criterion picks. Uh, Barton Fink? Yes. Come and See? Yes. I think Come and See definitely is coming, um, but it's just taking forever. Uh, yeah. After Hours? Yes. The Prestige? Sure. Why not? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Los Alvedados? Uh, Louis Benwell's one movie that I haven't seen, but actually sounds quite cool. It's more like a... Mm, Kind of a bluebeardy kind of killer guy. It's but it's like like he kills his wife. I, I, not his wife. Not bluebeard. I guess it's more like it's like it's like kind of like one of those like smiling killer movies. But he's like super charming and everyone goes along with it. Kind of like the Ted Bundy of its era, but before but without like the serial killer trappings. I guess hmm. uh, the Devils. I think so. I think we're all in agreement. The Devils should definitely be uh, released. Yeah, failsafe. Uh, that movie is. Good times. Do you still have my copy of that? Yeah, I can yeah, see it see, right now. It's, there it is. Yeah, I was going to watch that like two weeks ago, I think, for uh, whatever reason. But well, uh, in like a few weeks, we'll be watching Hopscotch, which has uh, our boy, uh, Walter Matthau. Walter? So then okay. you can watch uh, Fail Safe then. Okay. Yeah, well, movies. I'll save it for then. then. And, How's that uh, sound? Memories of Murder, uh, which is a South Korean uh, mm. crime procedural movie. Uh, it's like kind of comedy and grim serial killer movie. Good times, that Memories of Murder. Why not? Um, sure. These all either don't have an actual Blu-ray release yet at all, or just nothing beyond a crappy no-frills release. There you go. Also, not a specific request, but I really hope with the release of Police Story 1 and 2, either Criterion or any other company can focus on some Hong Kong action movies, as a ton of those are a nightmare to find decent copies of, even through <laughs> legal means. Uh, yeah, um, I I like those Hong Kong movies. and uh, Hong yeah, Kong th- Fooey? Hong Kong Fooey, uh, and they linger in obscurity and like the DVDs that they came out with in the 90s. They're, they are old, 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 um, and sometimes they have really lousy subtitles. So, uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, I don't know who's going to take up that torch, though. Uh, my friend Corey and I, like, he's super into Hong Kong stuff, um, and he kind of, like, picks up stuff here and there on iTunes and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, we're, we're always talking about it. But, like, I think it comes down to the, the sales and the stuff are, like, really crappy. Like, I think if more people were buying the stuff like they do with the horror stuff, uh, they would be on it. And I think maybe the rights uh, for this stuff are too expensive for what they sell in North America. I think that's what the grim mm-hmm. reality is. Um, I, I know Sam Sanchez. He's a he's a Vinegar Syndrome man as well. He's a, I always see him watching those new releases. And, uh, yeah, like, they're putting out, like, a, I mean, they're putting out, obscurities and stuff like that so they can make it work but i think the rights for that stuff have got to be a lot cheaper than what the uh, owners of those uh kung fuers are probably asking for or not even just kung fu movies but like action crime stuff like the heroic uh, stuff like hard boil the killers uh they are owned by miramax and mm. who knows what's going on with their assets 
as they get booed in theater and are we can buy them. Grotto. We could you and, and I. And we could distribute them. Nice. Well, you have that uh, salary. Yeah. <laughs> a uh, nice livable wage. Also. Might be huh? a dumb question, since I'm pretty sure all answers to such questions is simply Jarrett. But who does the potentially illegal choices for the music tie-ins? Always fun to listen mm. to, even though since I listen to you guys at 1.4 speed, that means the music is always very fast-paced, and I have to quickly remind myself that I'm not listening to some remix of a song I know, and it's just my setting. Uh, mm. That would mm-hmm. be me choosing incredibly legal music. Yeah, <laughs> in- entirely, entirely legal, Wink. to the point of which... Uh, the choices that Jarrett makes. Uh, I believe sometimes I even offer suggestions. And you know where those suggestions go, Sam? Right in the fucking toilet. Yeah, if I had a sound effect mixer here, it would be your flush sound. Flush. It's like, what's, what's that, RJ? Is that a suggestion? Flush. So, yeah, it's not that uh, I don't try to be super involved in the podcast. Uh, editing, picking song choices, uh, the Instagram, all those things. It's uh, I'm, I'm physically not allowed Jarrett's threatened me before, and he's not an imposing man, but he does have certain skills that he's acquired. And I'll threaten you again. Yeah. Your assets that uh, you like to lord over me. Oh, I have a job. Thanks again, guys. Keep on creeping on. (gasps) P.S. White Mexican who enjoyed Roma here. Ranked Uh number six on my 2018 list behind the likes of Burning, House That Jack Built, The Favorite, Mm -hmm. Black Klansmen and Into the Spider-Verse. Those are all pretty good picks. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I was going to say oh. something there. Oh, hey. So I looked up white Mexican to, to, okay. to, to see if I was like really being offensive. And it's like, so in Mexico, I guess like the term is uh, Mexican of European descent. <laughs> so Euro-Mexicano? And it's a term that they don't like to use in Mexico, but it's like, a th- it's like they just say, well, it's a light, light toned Mexican. It's like it's all the mm. ex- expected sort of like unease about it, uh, considering they make up fifty percent of the population. But I feel like now I don't want to say anything too generalized, and mm-hmm. I would like to stress that this is a character of, for a podcast, and <laughs> this aren't these aren't my real opinions. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would think that all races and um, ethnicities have both light and dark complexions within the same group because speaking as a white man uh there is a (laughs) vast divide between the very white let's say Seamus of wwe fame Mm -hmm. and uh the very tan let's say the owner of the new england patriots um (laughs) robert Kraft. i think his name is so there's like there's a pretty good divide in even between like the whites but I think <laughs> I think other races also have oh, boy. different tones. So this is a character that I've created for this podcast, and it's mm-hmm. not really my true opinions. Right. And uh, I hope Jarrett doesn't edit that statement out so that uh, I can use that someday if I ever need to. Absolutely. I'll be doing Well, I don't know. What do yeah. you think? What? I, I, don't, I don't know. No comment? Uh, no comment. We'll leave it right there. We'll leave it right there. Well, it was nice to hear from Sam. (laughs) Yeah. And we got Frank Solano. Hey there, creeps. 
Mm. I want to start off by saying thank you to all the other fans of the show who have supported my performance on the In the Mood for Love episode. It's Thanks. a boost in confidence, and I really appreciate it. I'll be back soon to co-host, but I'd Uh-oh. like the episode to be a surprise. Next week, I might reveal a hint for those who might be curious. Indeed. Indeed. Now, turning my attention to the hosts, I hope you guys have really thought up two movies to mash up because, yes, I have more questions, but this time they're going to be a little personal. So, RJ, mm. did you give this any thought? I basically said last week I wasn't going to do that. Okay. I got to be full disclosure. I actually will do this, but uh, I got really busy this week and I totally forgot. But I promise I will do it for next week. I will mash. I'll, I'll do two. I'll do two mashups. So four movies. I'll do mine and I'll do Jarrett's, but I'll do it for next week. That is a empty promise, but I, I think I'll be able to keep it. What are you doing over there? I'm, I'm looking at my DVD shelf just to see, hey, maybe we could mash up... Uh... Incubus with uh, mm. La Dolce Vita. I don't know what would happen if you would do that. There'd be sperm. It'd be the most boring sperm movie you've ever seen. An incredible amount of boring sperm. I'll, I'll, I'll take this seriously and I'll do it next week. I hope there weren't any follow-ups that were contingent on us actually doing that. When did you realize, RJ... And Jared, I guess, that movies were a passion and you just couldn't unglue your eyes from the screen. Mm. What movie was playing? Uh, I don't know. These are tough questions. These are things that I I might have to like actually think about. Uh, As far as the passion goes, I was lazy and I was an indoor kid. So uh, I just liked watching movies all the time. All the time, Jared. Uh, I don't know. Um... I guess one of the big we've talked about this on ghoul school, but I think one of the bigger things for me was like horror movies because it it felt like you weren't allowed to watch it. So there was a thrill. I remember one year Deep Blue Sea was out and uh, my family's like, you can't watch that. You're too little. And I was like, oh, yeah, I was like, I'm going to watch that Deep Blue Sea. I'm going to see what's going on with all these fucking sharks. And you know what, Jared? I did watch it. Mm-hmm. And you know what? what? That movie rules. There you go. To this day. So again, I, I'll have to think about this, but for, I'd say for me, it, it, like the, uh, not, I'm not going to be a pretentious dick here and be like oh, you're so John Carpenter or something like that. No, I'm going to say Steven Spielberg probably, uh, in Jurassic mm-hmm. Park. Like I would say that that was like the first yeah, movie cool. where I was like, whoa, like this is movies like so much better than like kids movies. And that's like when, uh, the Steven Spielberg became, it was like a household name. Um, everyone would know, mm. you would just hear his name. I mean, who won Schindler's list, best picture, best director. And so you're like, wow, this is like a job that people do. It all came together. Mm. Like when I was like, whatever, I guess 10, 11. So, I mean, that was like, kind of like that first, like, man, movies are cool. I like, I like going to the movies. Movies are awesome. Um, and then like, I guess like the next leap forward for me, movie wise, uh, maybe it was like David Fincher's the game, which I remember watching mm. and being like, this movie is totally different than like other stuff I've seen. Um, and I don't even like at this point, don't even think the game's like great, a great David Fincher movie. It's like neat. But, uh, that, but at the time though, that movie like it was a big deal for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to hit you with one that you might not expect hearing you talk. I, I have an answer now. Yeah. Uh, the page master. Huh? <laughs> you know what I remember about the page master? Uh, the alphabet serial uh, mm-hmm. had like little page master comics that were like oh, yeah, inserts. Yeah. And I remember, uh, uh, I think my friend Mike and I, we would like go to town on that comic and just like make our own versions of it and draw over top of it. 
Um, mm. Like we did that tons, yeah. like over and over again. Why not? Uh, I think that movie is super awesome because it is a blend of all of my favorite things. It's like a kid's adventure movie. It's got action. It's got horror. Macaulay Culkin. It's Macaulay Culkin. It's animated for a little bit. There's some fantasy. There's some dragons. You get the Hounds of the Baskervilles. That horror book with his hunchback. It's awesome, Jeremy. That movie's got it all. And that was, uh, I don't know about if this is what Frank actually meant, but I think watching that movie, I was like, ooh, shit. Movies. <laughs> Movies. This is the real deal right here. Yeah. So I'll, I'll go with that. I'll go with The Page Master. Yeah, I can't, like picking one movie, it's like kind of a series of movies, I guess. Because then after that, uh, I became that age where I would have been watching, like I started being able to rent my own movies on VHS and then coming across like, uh, at a time when like the usual suspects uh, and mm-hmm. mo- movies with uh, Kevin Spacey before he became oh. Persona Non Grata, uh, he, when he was in the movie, he was like, "Oh man, Kevin Spacey in the house." Is that what you said at uh, that's the what, Chateau that's, Duncan? That's what his victims yelled. Oh no, Kevin Spacey's in the house. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Terrible. Mine for Frank was First Blood. I just couldn't get Ooh. over the cliff jump into the trees. I have no comment on that because uh, I watched all those movies a really long time ago and I don't remember them very well. First Blood's pretty cool. Uh, that new Cowboy Rambo is coming out next year, so maybe oh, I'll yeah. I'll do a big rewatch before that comes out. That thing looks so cool, Jared. Have you seen all those Cowboy pictures? Uh, I think the only ones that you send me. Well, you never look at stuff that I send you, though. That's true. You're always just like, did you mean to send me this? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> yeah. I did mean to send you that. Frank continues. Did you ever catch the creative bug and to make your own? If you Mm -hmm. did, how did that turn out? Uh, Yes, I've made some things. You should tell them about that that really cool movie you made. Wasn't it a mockumentary? It sure was. (laughs) What was the the topic again? You you can even search it, folks. Search Jared Duncan on Letterboxd. It'll pop up. What was the topic of that movie? Uh, superheroes superheroes now jared was this not unlike uh the death rise and death of superman from your favorite uh writer director max landis was it not the exact same thing i no (laughs) i don't think it wasn't i have no idea i don't know what you're talking Mm. about there is a jared duncan who is the star of movies such as capes yep 140, an intimate yeah. portrait of Chernobyl, and something called Tarantula. There you go. So I don't know who Daniel Wong is, but I'd like to speak with this person mm-hmm. as uh, it seems to be your partner. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, not, but, but there's also uh, Mike Robertson on uh, Capes. Oh, uh, Reich Robertson. Yeah. yeah. I, I went in the reverse order, but uh, 100 minutes. Jesus Christ. Good lord! So, where do you find this movie? Can you purchase it it's, legally? It's it's around probably on some discs. Hmm. Now, Jarrett. Yeah. Do you do full frontal in this thing? You wish. Hey, RJ. Have you what? ever made, have you ever made any films? Uh, I, I've dabbled in things before. Uh, nothing that, thankfully, nothing that could be watched now by other people. That's good. But uh, I, I have threatened. Uh, I've been threatening people with my creative endeavors for many years now. So Is maybe that what one you call day. It? Yep. Yeah. I actually I did some of that like a week ago. So we'll see if I can keep up with it. Horrible. 
Uh, still working on mine, Frank says. Maybe one day I'll release my Malik Carwide Tarkovsky inspired film. You know, I don't know. Th- those are scary words to me. I think that's, uh, they already did that. It's called The Page Master. There you go. Mm-hmm. See? For my last question, I turn back to the other fans of the show and ask, have you ever watched a movie recommended by our hosts and thought, I don't see it? Oh, (laughs) Oh, man, what a can of worms. Or even worse, what the fuck are they talking about? Email in. (laughs) I would say probably 80% of the movies that I watch. I I have noticed on Letterboxd, every once in a while, someone will, it's probably coincidental, but uh, someone will watch a movie that I would just have talked about on that week's episode and giving say I was really positive giving it a re- they would give it a really negative review or the ver- vice versa. So I feel like that probably happens with me quite a bit, but uh, people can't handle my, uh, my hot takes. Jerry continues. Oh, okay. For me, it's the sister's brother. Sadly. Ooh, shit. It's fine, but I just don't see it. Sorry, Jarrett. This is how I break it to you. I intentionally didn't update my letterbox diary so you'd find out by this email for entertainment purposes. Nice. I'm sure RJ will find it slightly amusing. It is. I am slightly amused by that. Uh, I'm I'm mostly happy that it's uh, your picks because Mm -hmm. next week it'll probably be 30 people who've never emailed in, uh, all first-timers, talking about how I've led them stray with things like, I don't know. What was that movie that was really good that you didn't like that I liked? All of them. All all those movies, yeah. All of them. You know. And then he he goes and mentions a scene in Sisters Brothers that you won't like, but I'm not going to say that. Mm. Is it uh, some dog stuff? Uh, sure. Or stuff? Sh- sure. They use in trip lines in uh, that Sisters Brothers? No. No, they they tap what, into are you disappointed a by they, <laughs> No, they, they tap into a previously mentioned director's uh, bag of tricks. Uh, on that note, have a nice day, mm-hmm. creeps. See you next week. Thanks, Frank. Uh, yeah, it's a good one. Uh, Oliver Granger. He oh, writes, shit. Sorry for spamming you, Facebook, this week. But, but, <laughs> okay, uh, so <laughs> before you even mention that, uh, this is what happened to me uh, a couple nights ago. I'm sitting there watching this three-hour documentary about the Olympics that I was never told about. And uh, my, or no, wait, I was watching a different movie. I was watching some movie and my phone is just, (laughs) and I was like, what the fuck is going on? And I just look and Jarrett and Oliver are having this personal conversation. Jarrett's really like pouring his heart out. He's like, I love the fans, man. I wish more people contacted me on my personal accounts. And uh, I think he, I think you probably can. If you want, email in. I'll give you Jared's address and his phone number, and you can talk to him. Uh, but, yeah, I got – I think I – when I actually looked, because I didn't look while I was watching the movie, but afterwards I think it was like, I don't know, 60 messages or something. I was like, Jesus Christ, what are these guys doing? So what were you doing? Well, let's see here. He says, to summarize what happened. So – uh, I'll, I'll kind of summarize my portion. Uh, mm-hmm. So all of our messages, uh, the Facebook group name thing, direct message us uh, to say like, hey, like what version of Tokyo Olympiad have you been able to find? Um, as we'll talk about, there are multiple versions of this film. There's ones on YouTube. There's like 90 minute cuts. There's like the full version of it. How do you find this? Like, where the hell is this? Like, how can one watch this movie? Um, mm-hmm. And so 
that's pretty well it. And at this point, I did not know that a Tokyo Olympiad was 170 minutes, which made me burst out laughing because I'm like, oh, RJ, he's going to make these. That's going to make his day. To summarize what happened with Tokyo <laughs> Olympiad, for the third time, I've watched the wrong film. <laughs> I like that's that's my favorite ongoing plot of the podcast. That uh, Oliver continually watches yeah. the wrong movie. Yeah, it's good. It's good. It turns out Quite- I watched a cut called Sensation of the Century. It was 14 minutes shorter and much more Japan focused. Uh, it was in 1080p. Um, I'm not going to watch this for the, the real version anytime soon. It was great to see some mention of New Zealand, especially of the Kiwi hero, Peter Schnell. By the way, that haka that people do after he won was the whitest attempt ever. Kiwis go nuts when a film or TV show has a passing mention of New Zealand like this. And he gives me a link to YouTube. Where's that scene in Breaking Bad where Jesse and his girlfriend are talking about where they could go and start life over. And one of the places they mentioned is New Zealand. That's where they filmed Lord of the Rings and shit, and they could they could go like live in a castle. Hmm. Is that where they filmed it? I thought they filmed that near us, near like Coldale, oh, Lord of the Rings. Well, well there you, you know you learn something every week. Mm-hmm. Uh, I watched ba- Alita Battle Angel. Oh, I have heard things. Special effects and action was great, but it was full of the most cheesiest shit ever. I also think Rodriguez is a pervert and over-sexualizes everything. Alita Mm -hmm. is supposed to be a teen at one point, but then grows up when she gets a new body. I didn't mention this to my wife, though, as she always says I'm just projecting my own perverted feelings onto things. Mm. Also, the the RJ will love the villain. He is obviously Mm. evil. He goes around killing women. But just in case we didn't get that he was evil, they have him kill an innocent dog as the final straw. Unbelievable. Uh... The reason I bring this up is I saw this review on Letterboxd before I saw the film. I can't stop thinking about it. It's so gross and possessive. Uh, links to some an Aerial Rocks 5 user. Mm. Although I realize now it's written by a woman, not a creepy dude. And in quotes, that was her. That was my angel. That was who I loved, who I was empowered and inspired by, oh, who no. made my heart soar to height she reached within seconds, who made me cry, who made me laugh, who meant the world to me. And then after so much waiting, after so much fear, after so much pain to get here, to see her, to see my Alita, my angel, made all of that worth it. And one last thing. I'm reading mm-hmm. The Cats of Shambhala by uh, Shambhala by Tippi Hedren. It's a fantastic book about the making of Roar. It's so easy to watch a movie like that and think, whoa, so many cats. I wonder how they did that. This mm-hmm. is the full story of how it completely sent her life into a different direction and the amount of work involved. Insane. I would totally recommend the book. It's out of print, but you can pick up a copy on Amazon or something super cheap. What is it called? Uh, the Cats of Shambhala. The Cats of Shambhala. No. That's not like the music festival Shambhala, right? It might be the same. That's H-A-M-B-A-L-A. Shambhala. I'll check it out. Yeah, there you go. Thank you, Oliver. Uh, Thank you all. Yeah, thank you all. The one thing I'll say about Oliver is I I relate tremendously to being told that I'm just projecting my own opinions onto other things. Uh, And I feel like I have valid opinions on a lot of stuff. And uh, a lot of the time, it just gets down uh, downgraded to you're just being a gross old pervert. And I'm like, well, shit. Yeah. You weirdo. It's tough, Jared. Uh, so actually, Maya, when, when you're writing in talking about how you disagree with us, I'm actually curious from the creeps corner mm. of the fandom to say, hey, how many of you have watched movies and are now like really uh, aware of animal abuse and animal movies violence? and animal violence? Uh, and if it's mm. and has RJ ruined your ability to enjoy film? I hope so. I hope <laughs> I ruin that for everyone until 
because my point here is not to annoy people, but it's to express just how silly it is that this is something that continues to happen all the time. Because I don't, is there anyone there making these movies who's like, oh yeah, yeah, I get this guy to uh, beat that dog up. Oh yeah, it's going to show uh, how bad of a guy he is and just licking his lips. Real Jared style. I just don't get it. Oh. I don't get it. More on that later. Oh, hey, no. RJ. What? What you been creeping on this week? Uh, I watched some stuff, Jared. You did. You watched a few things. I watched a few things. Uh, what would you like to hear about first? Tell me about how right I was about a dark song. Okay, I'll say a few things about a dark song. But the main thing I want to stress... Uh, okay. Before I even say that, you were right. It is quite good. And uh, the the aggregate rating on Letterboxd is way, way lower than it should be. But I think I understand why. Uh, so before I get to that, I'll just say this movie is incredibly uh, efficient and it executes what it's doing very well. There's a building creeping dread throughout this whole this whole movie that like something is going to happen. Uh, you get like, I, I'm just reading my review cause it's been a little while here. I said lucid clarity to the mysterious practices. Uh, <laughs> that's right, Jarrett. I, I wax poetic when I need to. Uh, but what this movie does really good is it just drops you in. It's kind of like this whole movie is a cold open. It's like, all right, let's go. And then things just start happening with no explanation, but it all, it's also so precise and, uh, measured out like the way that things happen like to to the people doing the practices it's just like oh shit because they know what they're doing but you have no idea what it is so it's kind of building to something else uh, this movie also does one thing really well where it goes between uh, the way it shifts tone because uh, sometimes movies will do that and they won't do it very well but this thing goes from like people hanging out just relaxing and then it goes to like super intense in the next scene, but it doesn't feel herky jerky. It doesn't feel like it comes out of nowhere. Uh, and one thing I'll say, Jared, is that I think this movie is actually pretty scary. I was watching it by myself in the dark, and I was like, "Ooh, shit, that's pretty spooky." So, uh, none of what I just said is anything about the movie itself. I don't know if it's better not to talk about this. I, well, I see, I don't, what even, I, I don't remember if I talked about it on this, on the creeps proper, or was that on ghoul school? I don't remember either. It, Cause it could have been either one. Cause we did, we had a weird October cause you were doing whatever that thing was you were doing. Moving into a house. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember if you did or not. Do, do you want to give just a brief description of what the movie is uh, about? Or fall from what I recall, it is kind of a story of this woman mm-hmm. who's lost a child Mm-hmm. And uh, she approaches a magician. Yep. But not like a doing tricks magician, but like a uh, kind of Aleister Crowley, Kabbalah, uh, mysticism, like real world, like John Constantine style magician, um, mm-hmm. sorcerer type. Uh, and they go out to a English cottage kind of house in the middle of nowhere. And they proceed to do a ritual spell that takes mm-hmm. time and patience and repetition to achieve that. And it is just like spending time with these two for like this entire like 
for months, essentially, over the mm-hmm. course of the movie's runtime. And uh, bit by bit, things reveal, and then there's like, oh, hey, it's, we're making a movie. It's fiction, so we can do stuff. And it just mm-hmm. pays off all those things about what people are willing to do to accomplish certain tasks. Um, and yeah, I, I uh, what I remember liking about this movie quite a bit was just like uh, the intelligence of it and mm-hmm. uh, how it sticks to its guns. This is like when I think about like movies about sorcerers and magic and stuff like that, this is what I want. I was like, this is like so up my alley. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've, I've read like like Alan Moore. This is like closest to like an Alan Moore type of like world of magic that I actually find really fascinating uh, mm-hmm. when he talks about it and just seeing this movie like, oh, hey, we're going to run with that idea. And it's like, that's crazy. Like this is like the driest, weirdest material that's so outlandish and shouldn't work as a film. And they did it. And I'm like, I'm so happy that they did it this way. So yeah, that's pretty well it. Like yep. in a nutshell before, before getting into like what happens and such. But mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and I, I think what you're saying, too, where you're talking about how this is your version of magic that you want to see. Yeah. Uh, I wrote in my review where it's like, to me, this is what hereditary was to, like, everyone else. Because the way people talk about, like, hereditary, like, doing certain things, because it's all the occult magic stuff. Uh, I was like, this thing does all of those things better, and it's not even trying to be the same thing. It's just its own thing doing telling its own yeah. story and you have like a female character who's trying to like mm-hmm. come to terms with loss i guess yeah and uh yeah, yeah it, so it's all about like grief and uh anger and frustration speaking of hereditary uh chanel was watching it as we recorded last week all and right i can now uh, update saying yeah she was not a fan as i predicted mm. would be the case um she is like very similar taste when it comes to horror stuff as me. We both, mm-hmm. she was like, after she had watched it, she was like, you know what movie was like so much better than this? The Ritual. And I went, yup. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, yeah, anyway. And then of course I saw like a uh, cartoonist, Dave Cooper, who like, I like his work a lot and generally have pretty similar tastes. He loves Hereditary and just posted about rewatching it like last night and how much he loved it this morning. So I'm like, man, I don't know. That movie just works mm-hmm. for people in t- completely different ways. Yeah, I'm not really sure what it is, but I would definitely rewatch a dark song over uh, Hereditary because yeah. um, I, I really like the characters. They seem genuine. Uh, the ladies like driven uh, like way of how she pursues this stuff and just like unflinching and uncompromising. Uh, I think that too is that pays off in a way where it's not like supposed to be a big reveal or anything, but I think when you find out like the true intentions and then the way they play with it afterwards, I think that's super effective. Uh, my, I think one of the, my, my favorite scenes in this is, uh, I don't know if, I don't know if I should say, but it was like, do you know the tickling scene? Uh, not offhand. So like, uh, should I just say? Yeah, I guess. Okay. So it's like, she's, she's loading up, uh, the car with like eight months of groceries yeah. so that they can do the ritual. And uh, she sees um, a little boy like walking with the old lady in the hood. And then she like kind of goes to see a little bit more. And the little boy's just on the ground and the old lady is just oh. kind of like tickling him. And it, it's actually it's super um, it's super upsetting to see that. I don't know what why, but I watched it and it, it really made me uncomfortable. I was like, oh, it's like, I don't like that. So that's what I mean. I thought this movie was actually like kind of scary and I can see other people 
um, probably being like, oh, it's not scary. It's like, look at look how cheesy it is. Yeah, yeah man. When those when when the ghouls show up, it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> I like I like the ghouls quite a bit. So my last thing I'll say about a dark song, uh, and the reason, so the reason I like it, and I think the reason that a lot of people rate it lower is I think the ending because they they fully go for it, and I could see some mm-hmm. people not liking that. I liked it because I'm a good Catholic boy and I thought it really appealed to certain sentimentalities of that stuff. I was like, Hey, check this out. Whereas it seems like your takeaway from that was more magical. But, uh, I was just like, Hey, I like this. Look, look at it. Well, yeah. It's not get into it so much. Yeah. Like that could be a thing that people go, Ooh, that's too, a little too sincere or whatever. But like, for me, I'm like, well, having like read a lot about this stuff and this idea of guardians and whatnot, mm-hmm. um, the idea that like, I think also, I think there's people who think it doesn't look good. And, mm-hmm. uh, I think to me though, I'm like, well, it should look unreal. Like it shouldn't look realistic. A uncanny. It, yeah. It should look off. Like, cause it's not of this, mm-hmm. of this sphere, I guess it doesn't, it shouldn't look exactly right. It should look weird and idealistic and smooth and odd. So like, yeah. it's an, it's an argument. Um, about what that works or not, but like, I don't know. I think it works really well. I mean, it's like, yeah, oh, cool. I mean, because it it, it's like, oh, this is what she's striving for. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I could see why maybe people would give it pause, but like, for all the shit that I see people give like five stars, <laughs> and I'm like, really? This is this. I don't know. It baffles me because yeah. I'm like, I don't think this is a five star movie or anything like that. But I think for like, it's pretty uh, close. Like for a contemporary horror film that like is unlike anything else that like for, I mean, personally like I love it like it's got so many things that uh resign or mm-hmm. resound with me for me oh yeah I think this is a terrific movie I'm glad you finally watched it after I bought the blu-ray from the states and well, lent it to you <laughs> I had to wait for you to buy it so that I could watch yes, it you know? yes yeah you know but, but yeah I'm, I'm glad I watched it what, what's good. the but what's the opposite of a dark song RJ uh, Stephen King's The Shining what by this, Sh- this, the Stanley Kubrick classic uh, the shit Garris classic, oh. the legendary TV special, oh. the five hour event <laughs> that is the shining by Stephen King. So I know what you're thinking. Why would you watch this? Why would you waste your time? I could have watched three movies in the time that it took me would, to watch. Would you this say thing. that you watch this because you do a podcast? Uh, probably. Yeah. Yeah. It's something to talk about, but also I, I do have. I do have that weird uh, hard on for Stephen King, so I was like, oh, I'll watch it as a, a completionist. Um, the re- the reason for that is because uh, I just read the book, um, and so my problems go hand in hand with these two. But I, I I was like, I just read the book. I was like, if I was ever gonna watch this piece of shit thing that gets like is legendary and how bad it is, uh, I was like, well, now's the time. Uh, I did not watch the Kubrick one. I just ran out of time, but at the same time. That movie is so well in my brain that reading the book and watching this thing, all I could think about was the Kubrick version and how much better that guy is, uh, old Stan. Did you, th- did you think uh, that's why Steve doesn't like it? Oh, for sure. Because like, okay, so here's the thing. Uh, I'll stand up for Stephen King any day of the week. Um, I like him. I think he's smarter than people think. Uh, I do think he falls into some tra- his traps that he makes for himself sometimes, and he falls back on certain tropes. 
but for the most part, I think uh, Stephen King's a pretty smart guy, and I think he's a very cinematic storyteller. He knows how to write a book uh, that is entertaining to read, I guess. Um, so the thing about The Shining, uh, Shit Garris's uh, The Shining, is it is almost uh, a complete um, straight book to screen adaptation of uh, the book, The Shining. But here's the thing, Jared. That book sucks. This is, it's honestly, it's probably one of the, my least liked Stephen King book. Uh, I think, I keep a running tally. I think I'm at 40 Stephen King books or something that I've actually read. So I'm like halfway through his stuff. But Jesus. That's a lot of books, Jared. Because he, well, he has like 90 some and I think I'm at 40. Well, fuck, he's like, he's at that point where he's writing, what, three a year? Three a year. And they're not small either. Like they're all almost consistently 1200 page things now uh but anyways uh this book is fucking horrible and uh <laughs> watch it, reading the book and then watching the movie uh the only like the thing about Kubrick I'll say now is it really shows how smart he was because he took like he's like here's this huge piece of shit story but you know what there's a good idea in there and I'm going to take that idea out and I'm going to completely change it into something good. Uh, and like everything that Stan does, I think I call him Stan because I, you know, we're buds. Uh, everything he does is in so much ways, so much better than what the book and, uh, the shining are. So let's get into it. Jared, the shining by Mick Garris. Uh, this thing is, I'll talk about the movie really quick. Is, is then, there okay? I want to ask: Is there like references to the Kubrick movie in this version, or is it kind of like not trying, that I noticed? Is it? Yeah, I'm curious. Like if he's like actively trying to make his own thing, but I mean, also restrained by a television budget that he has yeah. to make this like five hour TV movie. I think it's well. I think one of the reasons he was annoyed so much from the Kubrick one was that he thought because I've seen interviews with him. Uh, Steve King, that is, uh, he thought Kubrick was actively trying to make the movie his own thing to the point where it's like he was like making fun of Stephen King. So his stuff like I don't know. If, I think Stephen King is also one of the conspiracy theorists about uh, that movie. But it was stuff like in the book, the Volkswagen was red. And then in, in Kubrick's version, it was blue. So he was like he's like he did it on purpose. He did it on purpose because like also the way that Kubrick's end is he freezes. And then in this one, the hotel blows up. So Stephen King's always like, I was hot and he was cold. That's why my punch buggy was red and his was blue. Uh, he, he talks like that. Um, New but England, New England. I, I didn't really see any like stuff like that. It, it's just like it is a, a direct adaptation of the book. Um, but OK, so for the movie itself. Uh, I honestly, I don't know how Mick Garris got work for so long and how he still does. He must be like a really nice guy, a really nice guy. And people are like, Fuck, we got to give him another chance. Like, look at how much he, he was like helping out. Or I don't know, maybe he saw some guy like jerking off on a car or something. And it was like Spielberg. And then Mick Garris is like, all right, you're going to give me some movies now. Because I, I, I don't know how he keeps getting <laughs> Because his movies are, it, it's it's fucking horrible. Like the stuff that he does, uh, I 
I don't know. Like the, everything about his directing is just fucking horseshit. And this isn't even the worst one of his movies that I've seen. <laughs> nope. Which is like oh, saying man. something. Riding the bullet, baby. Uh, saying something like so bad, but um, I think the problems are with the book itself because it's it's like so cheesy and so heavy handed. Like everything in the book and in this movie are so literal where it's just like halfway through you're like holy fuck we get it because it's all about how he's a recovering alcoholic and he uh was uh, fired from his teaching job but he wants to be a writer and uh just like everything he does it's just like over and over again it gets like hammered into your head that he is uh like everything about him uh so we got steven weber we got uh was it Rebecca De Mornay? <laughs> is that who it is? Who cares? <laughs> yeah, it is Rebecca De Mornay. Uh, <laughs> and then you have um. Uh, so the kid playing Danny is uh huh from uh, the Little Rascals. Yeah. Uh, this kid's real annoying. You would fucking just hate him. Are you putting a pillow uh, over his face? Pretty well. Pretty well. He's super annoying, but uh, like the literal things, they just everything they say, you're like, holy shit, I get it. Uh, they're like building up to that he's gonna go crazy and like every scene suggests that and then they're building up danny as like having this other thing and in this movie tony doesn't live in his finger he is a teenage boy that floats like six feet up in the air and just talks to danny um i don't know like the emphasis is so much on the wrong things like it's about how he has like all the qualities that of being alcoholic again, even though he isn't. Um, and the way that they show that is really weird. It's like, ugh. it's like, why are you like focusing on these things where when you compare it like to the Kubrick stuff, it's like, look at how he does it very subtly and he's building this thing up where in this one, he's like his alcoholic tics or that he wipes his face or his lips with like a handkerchief so he does it so much his lips are just bleeding all the time and he's like always wipe, wiping his lips he's like oh oh yeah and it, it happens like every minute and you're like Ugh. uh there's also things like um there's a couple lines of dialogue that i'm not even kidding each one you probably hear 120 times uh they keep talking about how the ghosts are like pictures that they can't hear you uh, they all call Danny Doc and Pup a lot. So Steven Weber's like, he's just a pup. Get over here, you little pup. And it's like, come on, Doc. Come on, pup. Pup. And like they 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 say it so fucking much, Jarrett. It's like I you you wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't believe how much it, it does that. Um and then I'd say the one thing that's probably the most embarrassing is <laughs> how bad the ending is in this thing. So there's there's no axe. Uh it is a um what is a what is it like croquette where you have the big mallets that yeah. you hit the balls on the one. That's his uh weapon instead of an axe. Mm. Uh he kills no one. Um, so it, this one's played by not Scatman Carruthers, but Melvin Van Pebbles. Ah. He's Dick Halloran. Uh, he kills no one. They just get away and he's walking around with this mallet. Huh. Um, and then the hotel blows up huh. and he, like, he what, like from a gas leak. Uh, the whole, the, 
the very first like line of dialogue in this book is uh him being like shown the boiler room from the oh. the janitor and he's like got to keep your eye on it this thing creeps it gets real hot you better watch this thing it sure creeps it gets up there and then like every 20 minutes it's like i got to go check the boiler that thing creeps um yeah, this I, I was actually really surprised at how much I didn't like the book because I was reading it and I was like, there there aren't a lot of his books that I I actively dislike. There are some that I'm like, eh, that was fine, whatever. But this one reading it, I got like about halfway through, I was like, I'm super put off by this. So I was basically just skimming the pages, flipping them over. So what's the best um, Stephen King book out of curiosity? Uh, 112263. Really? Yep. What about his best horror best horror uh let me see jared um because as you may know you're a nerd but uh um so i do have a little shut up uh 11 i think it does have horror elements um but so the other five star ones i've read are pet cemetery there you go um, which is very good. Um, and I read that before watching the movie and there's that new one coming out. So that's cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like Salem's lot quite a bit, like the book, yeah. uh, under the dome, I thought was a very good book. Um, the TV show was pretty, pretty shitty. Uh, dream catcher. Yeah. Cause it's all about farts and aliens. That's right. There you go. Yeah. So anyways, but yeah, that, that movie is, it, it it's basically what everyone always said about it. And it's, it's unbelievable. And I don't know why people were always like, it's Kubrick's isn't like what his book was, man. It's like, yeah, the book was really bad. And there's this emphasis people have on like the fucking hedge animals. And they always talk about that. I hear that everywhere where they're like, yeah, Kubrick left out the hedge animals and it's, it's nothing. It's a nothing detail. It's like Danny is walking one time and the hedge animals are like closer to him and like push him over. That's it. Hmm. So it's like, why do people fucking give a shit about that at all? I don't know, Jared. I don't know. I don't know. Very bad. Very bad. So RJ, tell me about your Oscar nominated best picture nominee movie that you watched. Oh, the Black Klansman? Yeah. Uh, so I watched Black Landsman. We, uh, rented this from Cineplex. Uh, so we popped this thing on. What? Did you buy a super ticket? Oh, it's the best way to own a movie. Uh, no, I, I realized you can, um, you can rent movies by using your scene points. So I've been doing that. There you go. It's, it's like 600 scene points to rent a movie. Not bad. So whatever. Whatever that means. Um, (laughs) Whatever. Uh, so yeah, we watched Black Klansman, uh, with our buddy Spike. He was rocking that, uh, Ivan Ooze look at the Oscars that crushed purple. Um, so I liked it. Uh, you talked about this before, so I yep. won't get too much into it, but, uh, yeah, I, I liked it. I thought, um, some of it was a little heavy, like, uh, <laughs> you've mentioned that Spike is known for like that tunnel scene where they're talking about, uh, they're just talking about Donald Trump and you're just like, okay, oh, yeah. <laughs> Okay, you're like, all right, this could happen. What if this happens someday in the future? In the future, that and then uh, there was one thing that I was like, I was kind of, I kind of got hung up on it, and I was like, I don't really understand. You get hung up on things. Yeah. So Jarrett, after his uh, initial phone call, why did he continue to call people? 
why wouldn't Adam Driver just call people from that point? Because because the whole thing was that he had a different voice on the phone. Yeah. But after that first phone call, and then when Adam Driver went in his place, why wouldn't Adam Driver be on the phone too? Why would they continue to have him talk on the phone? You'd have to ask the guy whose story this is based on. Well, okay, so I, I did I did yeah. a little reading into that, and I'm not sure how much is exaggerated, and uh, I didn't read too in-depth, but it does sound like, so he called them, and he got the card, and then his partner went into, like, some meetings. But, like, the the phone calls with David Duke, it seems, were are highly fabricated, where he did talk to him on the phone, but it was, like, one time. Yeah. It wasn't like this big thing that kind of kept going. But are, are you saying a, a kind of semi biographical movie. movie takes some creative liberties? Like, well, which is fine, but like, so I, I was honestly, I was like, well, why would he stay on the phone? Because then it came up later. Everyone was like, well, we would kind of recognize your voice. It's like, well, obviously you do, because he keeps well, the, talking well, on the, the phone. Those are 1970s phones, though. So what? <laughs> I guess you have. Oh. I don't even know if you could tell someone's voice super well because you always be like, "Yeah, I sound different on the phone." But yeah. but he, even so, like I guess it's because he was smarter or something because like yeah. he could talk better. But I don't know. I, I was just like, I don't really understand why he's still on the phone. Why don't they just get Adam Driver to do it now? Um, so I was confused by that, Jarrett. But uh, there were some things that I really liked. Uh, I liked the dance scene at uh, the bar after the meeting they have yeah. um, for the Brotherhood or uh, whatever it was called. Uh, I can't remember the guy's name, like who was visiting. Oh, yeah, yeah, the the Black Panther, like the activist guy. The, yeah, and the then, And then they guy. go back to the bar. Yeah. Yeah, and that song plays that uh, I think I'm Falling in Love song. I was like, hey, this is a really nice scene when they're like dancing around. Uh, you get a Spike Lee track. It, it feels like a, a 90s movie like this with yeah like with 70s uh music 70s music yeah, yeah. Uh, you get one of those uh moving tracks or stationary tracks like uh spike has been doing um what was that other one inside man he does it in that i think mm-hmm. um but uh so one thing i actually didn't like was the music in this uh i thought it was corny uh but andrea pointed out to me she's like well isn't this whole movie just trying to be a, a black exploitation film and I was like, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, so I was like, I guess that is why the music and the dramatized action stuff is the way it is. See, this is like, I'm really surprised this movie was nominated. Like, um, like it's it really, yeah. like, I'm watching it. Because, like, I, I liked the movie, um, like, because uh, I thought it was, like, one of the better Spike Lee movies I've seen for in forever. Um, yeah. I thought the I thought I, I like the coda. You haven't mentioned that part yet. Like when they oh, actually I, do the, the 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 final segment where they use the real life foot. Like the the movie ends and then it transitions oh. to the Charlottetown stuff. Yeah, that um, that's pretty powerful. Yeah, yeah. Like, I thought like that is like kind of what the movie's like building toward, isn't the fact that like hey, David Duke is like completely backing the fucking mm-hmm. president, and it's like yeah, that guy. Uh, I don't know. And then, of course, in the last few days with post-Oscars, which we'll talk about, I guess, in the news maybe, um, mm-hmm. like he, he gave his speech. And what a surprise. Spike Lee, when you give him a live mic, is going to be a provocateur and say shit because he's – and that's what he's been doing forever. It, people were expecting – well, I've expected a little bit of restraint. And uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's kind of like, yeah, Spike Lee is going to do what Spike Lee's always done. 
and say, say shit that people don't say. Um, so yeah, like that was like kind of like the elements of Black Klansman that I liked, like the scene, the use of like Birth of a Nation, uh, mm-hmm. like that whole scene, and stuff like that, the whole Adam Driver stuff. I don't know. There's just like it's like a enjoyable movie. Like I don't know. I, yeah, I, it's I, good. I, yeah, I mean. Uh, it's one of those movies that, like, I definitely kind of like uh, talking about Letterboxd uh, star ratings. RJ, oh, like, I, I I would bounce between like a three and a half, four stars. Like, kind yeah. of t- like I don't know, but like for me, like the ending and like uh, I think in my review, like the day I watched this, the guy who was driving that car and killing that woman, uh, mm-hmm. he he was convicted, and so like I happened to just watch this movie that same day, and I was like, oh man, and so it's like that hit me in that way, so that, that I think that pushed it over the edge for me, mm-hmm. but like yeah, I could definitely see like it's not like. I don't even know if it'd be like yeah, it's like is it top three movies of the year. No, but I, I mean, I think it's worth watching. I think people should check it out. Yeah. See, that's kind of like what I went. I just went the lower route where, um, like the ending is like I said, it's that's pretty powerful. And then uh, there's a lot of aspects of the movie I did like, but there was stuff that, like some of the heavy handedness and, uh, like I said, I I got I got really hung up on that detail. I was like, why is he still on the phone? It, it really bugged me. And I was like, what the it, fuck? It's not the black Klansman. Well, there was that. And then there was also like, um, the scene where Adam driver's like indoctrinated or like indoctrinated into the, uh, or baptized into the clan. Yep. And he's like in the vent watching. I was like, what the fuck? I was like, why would he be there? Why would you risk it? Maybe that's what really happened. I don't know. <laughs> Probably but, not. So that's what I, I, I got hung up on some stuff where I, Watching it, I was like, eh, I don't know. I, I still think it's good, but uh, yeah, some things brought it down for me. Anyways, that's what I watched. Cool. Well, RJ, yes. uh, the day that we were supposed to hang out, but then I wasn't uh-huh. feeling well, uh, I was laying on the couch, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to watch The Return of Swamp Thing, Ooh. Uh, directed by your pal, Jim Wynorski, Ooh. starring Heather Locklear. Ooh. Yeah. Rebecca DeMornay? Uh, you no, oh. lucky enough to have her in this. Uh, this movie's crap. Oh, um, yeah. Really? Sorry. The the costume for Swamp Thing is definitely an improvement over the Wes Craven mm-hmm. Swamp Thing, but it's like the exact same. It reminds me a lot of the uh, Giver live action movie I watched oh, with yeah. like Mark Hamill. Just just like it feels like a shitty, like live action superhero movie for kids back in the late eighties. Just. Nothing happens. Swamp Thing's barely in this movie. Um, yeah. Uh, waste of time. <laughs> Don't watch this. Uh, read Alan Moore's Swamp Thing instead. Those comics are amazing. What about that uh, upcoming live action uh, TV show? Well, I don't know. Like, so it's by. Have you seen uh, the stills of that Doom Patrol TV show? I have, which and, is actually and, getting positive yes. ratings. Well, it's and that's from the same. Yeah, and yeah, it takes a lot of the visual cues from the uh, Grant Morrison Doom Patrol comics, which mm-hmm. uh, I haven't read for a long time, but I've got the full run in comic form in issues, and uh, I remember like loving that comic. So I'm like really excited seeing that Brendan Fraser's back in uh, as uh, Robot Man as old Cliff. Mm-hmm that's a whole like thing too eh? like i don't know if you know but brendan fraser has a pretty vocal uh contingent of uh loyal supporters and uh they are quite happy he's back i that good I, I think he was assaulted or something by uh someone and it made him really uncomfortable and then he was like yes. put out from acting for a couple of years there was something about that something about that yeah yeah too. hey i like brendan fraser in those mummy movies 
he's quite good. But we'll I, talk about that another another day. Yeah, when uh, when we get to the mummy in the Criterion Collection. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, uh, my friend Corey, Corey uh, he was like kind of afraid to rewatch the mummy because he's been watching uh, Stephen Sommer movies. Uh, mm-hmm. here and there and they're apparently just horrible and he's like oh, I don't know if the mummy's gonna be very good anymore and I'm like last time I watched it I remember being just like a like a fun pulpy send up of like kind of yep. like Raider it sounds like a Indiana Jones but crappy but still good no uh, it's good yeah I can say that it's good yeah mummy one and two are both quite good and then I actually rewatched a movie uh, oh. I rewatched a Lucio Fulci movie called Conquest. This is a uh, yeah, because I, I was sick and like not feeling oh. well, and I was like, yeah. I'm gonna. I was, I was going to that sword and sorcery kick at the end of last year, and mm-hmm. I kind of left off on that. And uh, I was going to watch Conan, but that movie's over two hours long, and I was like, no way. So I watched Conquest instead. Uh, I slept through about a half hour of this because this movie's got like one of those like droney synth wavy music scores that just mm-hmm. like. Just sends you to sleep, and this movie is so hazy. Like it is like shot in constant fog, and like it seems like it's at times actually shot out of focus, intentionally. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, it the the visuals and monsters and gore in this movie are like amazing. <laughs> but mm-hmm. uh, it is so fucking like boring for the most part, and like the characters are non-existent. And then the the like beastmen monsters show up, and mm-hmm. like like insta scalp dudes and then like take a woman and tear her in half and it's like what the fuck uh the main villain is this like completely naked woman who with, with like a metal head and uh oh. she has like these like yeah and she's like mess it's like weird like she just walks around just like topless the whole movie with this metal mask mm-hmm. which is kind of cool um but uh, and then it kind of builds to the reveal of what's under the mask. But yeah, the monsters and stuff like that. It's like kind of like uh that Beastmaster movie. I don't know if I've brought that up. Uh, the Don Ca- mm, the, the, the best movie that Don Cascarelli ever made. Not those phantasm pieces of crap, but Beastmaster baby, mm. uh, which has also got like really strange haunting monster moments in it. Uh, Conquest has those too. But man, Conquest is like so dull for the most part. I feel like though when this movie gets like a like a 4K restoration in HD, uh, everyone will be like calling it like this like completely undiscovered classic of cinema. And it's mm. like, no, it's just like, uh, did you ever see uh, Nicholas Winding Refn's uh, Valhalla Rising? No, I, I've actually, I've only ever seen Drive. I never watched any of his other movies. So it's I don't know if I'm probably I'm for the lucky or. Well, there's, yeah, well, there's like, uh, the pusher the movies, pushers. yeah. The the third yeah. one's really like all three of them. Like the first one's okay. The second one's, nah. The third mm-hmm. one's quite good. But yeah, I don't know about that guy. And uh, every time he talks, it gets worse for me. But yeah. that, mm-hmm. that that this movie's got like vibes of Valhalla Rising, his Viking movie that like hmm. should be awesome. But boy, that's a movie that seems like people are pretty well on the same page. Like this thing's fucking boring. It is like the, it yeah. is like absolutely pretentious beyond belief. Um, Seems like people think that of just him in general now. Yeah, yeah, his neon demon and and all that. Oh, God, God's hand, whatever that's called. That, mm. that movie's the worst. Doesn't like, only God forgives. Only God, God forgives. That's it. That movie yeah. sucks. Mm. Absolutely. Well, horrible. what are you terrible, gonna do? Terrible movie. Uh, <laughs> and then RJ. Mm-hmm. Saturday morning. Go downstairs to like I don't know read or something like that. Maybe I was like going to watch something, but uh, before I know it, my cat's pinned me down. 
He's crawled up on beside me, and he's like, doesn't want to move anywhere. And I'm like, well, okay, cat. I guess you, you're making the decisions here in my life. Uh, so I, mm-hmm. I, I have my free hand. I hit like the power on the TV, turn on Netflix. I'm like, what am I going to watch? And mm-hmm. there, and there, RJ staring me in the face is Black Panther. Oh, another Oscar, Oscar nominated for best picture film. And Oscar I'm like, winning well, film. I guess, uh, since I have no choice, I guess, and there's literally nothing else to watch on Netflix at all. Mm-hmm. I guess I'll uh, see how far I'll take the Black Panther challenge and see how far into this movie mm-hmm. I can get. How far did you finish? I got 52 minutes in. 52? 52. You got halfway through and you couldn't not even, even not even ha- not even half you, through. How long is it? It's over two hours long. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yes. Because uh, it's it's uh, 2018, 2019. All mm-hmm. movies have to be over two hours long now. That's not a 2018 thing. I like the core from uh, early 2000s. That movie's over two hours long. How weirdly specific. Um, yep. So, Black Panther, RJ. Mm-hmm. What can be said about this movie? Um, if I was you a, tell me. If I was a kid, if I was a little kid, you know, eight years old, I I think Black Panther is pretty cool because when you're like eight years old, everything's cool. Um, what if you were 13? Uh, you probably think it was pretty cool. I don't know, but a bit, you know, I see adults, grown fucking adults, who are like, "This movie's great." Like, oh man, what a revelation! This is what I want to see more of this from my Marvel movies. But which mm-hmm. I, can, I think is part of the problem. Um, this movie is not very good. Tell uh, me more. It, the biggest. Like, honestly, I had seen clips, and I've complained about this previously. Like, I've seen GIFs of this movie, and I'm looking mm-hmm. at it, and I'm like, the special effects in this look really bad. And I'm like, well, that's just in GIF form. Perhaps it's mm-hmm. not uh, not really really sh- just demonstrating what really looks like in motion. A friend of mine watched, like, a cam of this, and they oh, stopped okay. after, like, 20 minutes because they, they said it looked like shit. And um, I don't know. I... Uh, was watching this movie and I'm like, this looks like Doctor Who. This look, this looks actually worse than like a modern Doctor Who episode. This looks like like a, one of those like Doctor Two Who is the worst the, for that accessible sci-fi bullshit. Well, there's like that the BBC like fantasy series like based on Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett stuff or whatever uh, back mm-hmm. in the 90s. It looked like that, so it looks <laughs> cheap to me. And I'm like, I don't know what the budget of Black Panther was, but I imagine it wasn't like crazy small. Mm-hmm. Um, but like maybe Marvel really figured, uh, no one cares about Black Panther. We don't have to spend much money on it. And despite that, it still became this like massive hit that made like a billion dollars, mm-hmm. which is ridiculous. Um, yeah. So this movie is just like, what's his name? Main dude in this uh, playing Chakala. Chadwick Boseman. Yeah. He's not doesn't doesn't have anything to work with. And I've seen actually many people uh, comment that like, he's probably uh, the most disappointing part of the movie uh, is like, he just doesn't like everyone's more interesting than he is. Um, I don't know if you know too, he is so fucking checked out of this stuff. Like there's a, a lot of um, gifts out there of him doing the Wakanda forever. And he is like, you can tell he's so unhappy in his, like in his heart. He's just like, I can't believe I'm going to have to do this for my entire fucking life now. Yeah. So maybe maybe he felt that while the movie was going on, he just knew it was gonna come. So yeah, he is like not interesting. Um, nice. Like every time he's on screen, it's kind of like, oh, 
there he is. Uh, yeah. But he doesn't do anything. Uh, yeah, the first, like, Black Panther in action, breaking up some, like, slave trading going on in the jungle. Ooh. It feels like a TV pilot. Like, it just, yeah. it looks like shit. He moves around like shit. It feels like, just like a Netflix episode of Daredevil. Um, hmm. And then you're introduced, then it kind of turns into, like, a James Bond movie, which I was not expecting. He's He's got his own. James Bond? Yeah, he's got his own cue. Uh, with gadgets and stuff. Oh, right. And, and uh, I was like, oh, that's strange. Because always people are always like, yeah, it's like Shakespeare. It's like Hamlet. Like, <laughs> what that's, do you mean? Well, because it's like his father's dead and he's taking up the ranks and then his like, whatever, uncle or brother or whatever is like conspiring uh, and stuff like that. There's a fight for power. Yeah. And so you already know where everything in this is going to go. Sure. But I didn't get that far, Jay, because we got to the... Uh, already legendary based on Netflix previews that automatically play when you scroll past movies, the black SUV car chase. Um, Mm. I remember when I saw that, I was like, I'm never watching this fucking movie. Um, Mm -hmm. Then I broke that promise to myself. And sure enough, when it came to watching the black SUV car chase scene, I was just like watching it and then being like, well, here we go. And then (laughs) I started laughing bursting out laughing, going, Jesus Christ, fuck off, fuck off. And then I'm like, um, I'm done, and off it went. Uh, th- I can't wait until you see uh, what I saw in the preview for that Captain Marvel movie where it's the train top uh, chase scene uh, a la The French Connection with uh, Sammy Jackson driving in the car on the street. Um, I saw I saw a minute of that thing. Yeah. It, uh, it was pretty impressive. I it, think you're going to like it. it it's, it's shameful, really. Uh, shameful. Yeah. There, it's like, so we got uh, Black Panther. He's like riding on top of a car, getting shot at, but like the bullets are being, like their, their energy is being absorbed. Their kinetic energy is being absorbed into suits because that's what oh, happens wow. in these, that's what happens in movies. And Physics. then he's, he's able to use that, like you can build up that kinetic energy and then he like puts it into something and it like explodes out because it's like. Isn't that Gambit? Yeah, it's not Black Panther, but, but he, Gambit. He doesn't throw it, but he like he can like touch something and it explodes out. Oh, just shit. And then uh, you have Claw, uh, evil. Claw? Like, Claw? Claw is uh, I guess he's like a Boer South African guy. I I don't know. Mm-hmm. He's supposed to be like an evil white African. Uh, sure. He's like a mercenary, and uh, they've been trying to get him for like thirty years, and they've just never been able to. But he's got like you know he's like a cybernetic man, and blah blah mm-hmm. blah. There's a scene though where I finally just tapped out on this thing, where uh, it's like one of the like the Wakandan bodyguard women, the mm-hmm. with their. She's like her and like another uh, Wakandan woman. They're driving in this vehicle, and she like climbs up on top of it, and like she's going to like throw her like ceremonial weapon staff mm-hmm. dagger thing at their other vehicle. Spear? I don't know. It's not like a spear. It's just like a battle. Like I'm, tr- I'm trying to think of D. Sure. I'm trying to think of D and D weapons. Yeah, but this is real life, Jared. It's not D and D. Well, it's it's Black Panther. Okay. Uh, and then like he like unleashes some sort of sonic weapon that like hits the front of the SUV and it like causes her to go flying up through the air all CGI-ly and she manages to catch her her staff and then she lands on the ground with it. But like you're like, oh shit, what happened to the woman who was driving that vehicle that just exploded? Oh no, she's continuing to move forward in her car seat holding the steering wheel like a car, in her car like, seat. You know, is she a baby? 
like when the car the car seat oh, okay the seat of the car i got the you, driver's, I got you. the driver's seat she's sure. still she's still sitting in it and it's still like going forward but the rest of the car has been blown away and she's still got the steering wheel in her hand like a looney tunes cartoon <laughs> and i was just like i'm i'm out oh, jared i'm done i'm done with this shit this is uh embarrassing and uh it's like i think i was messaging you at the time being like i I cannot even believe that this was nominated. Like, this is such like a like a bad like it's like like it's an averagely bad movie. Like, it's like in no way mm-hmm. noteworthy. But the fact is that this, this was nominated. Uh, you, you know, it's so, so funny. So vo- such volumes. You know, it's so funny. What? So uh, I sometimes check on Collider, the movie website, and at the day of the Oscars, they put out a um, an article on there that said, "Yes, Black Panther is worthy." <laughs> of that best picture, uh, best picture nomination, and I, I, it was right after you were like, I couldn't even watch it, and I just thought it was so funny. I was like, this website is such horseshit. Like, yeah. well, <laughs> see, like the funny thing though is like, I remember like people were like so like on this movie when it came out last year, mm-hmm. yeah. um, but then like by the end of the year, Spider Man into the Spider Verse comes out, and it's yeah. like, whoa, this movie's like so much better than that. And then hey, that movie won best animated picture, sweet. Sure um, did. Because it's actually like what these movies should be like, uh, not this. So yeah, this movie sucks. Not whatever this thing is, I don't know. I, I don't get it. Well, I'm glad you liked it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then a, a little uh, topper. I uh, also watched uh, the Power of Grayskull. It's like this. I wanted something on while I was drawing. There was nothing mm-hmm. on YouTube popping up, so I watched Power of Grayskull. This is like the definitive history of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. Uh, as a kid, I was like pretty into that He-Man. Uh, I was like literal. I would have been three uh, during the heyday of He-Man, I guess. Well, who yeah. doesn't like He-Man? Well, uh, I don't know. Parents, like Christian parents, didn't seem to like He-Man. Oh, excuse me. The, uh, the, I grew uh, up in a Catholic household, and we had He-Man shit out the wazoo. Well, I'm talking like real Christians, not the Papists. Oh. The uh, yeah. the Sunday Catholics uh, having yeah. beers with the the Pope yeah, t- talking about the evils of uh, Castle Grayskull and it's a it's a channel yeah, it's for t- Hitler or Hitler Satan into your life. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I'm not on board with those people. <laughs> so anyway, so yeah, this is a very like typical cruddy Netflix release documentary. Like they didn't put it other than like getting the rights to distribute it, this thing. It's like whatever i've i've seen i watch documentaries on things on youtube all the time that are like 10 minutes long and they have like as much information as you need on some of these th- topics this is an hour and a half um the, the highlight of it is really just like they got access to all these like production guys that worked on the cartoon and the well, the toy line mm-hmm. and they have like these guys still have their drawings like they, they're just like oh yeah here's the drawing for like orco when we designed him and blah 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 <laughs> and, they, and they put all these things you're like well that's kind of cool like it's nice that these guys like are being talked to because for the most part like no one knows who they are other than like he men dudes um mm-hmm. But it's very like Jared. No, not me. Uh, yeah, nostalgia documentaries. Uh, mm. I, I mean, I was a, uh, I had a Skeletor Halloween costume when I was like a little kid. Uh, I was pretty hard into He Man, but I have like no feelings toward He Man at this point in my life. Um, mm. This didn't really make me go, man. I really should like do something about this. It's like no, <laughs> that that's a time that's come and gone. I remember. Um, trying to watch like the uh the real ghostbusters cartoon again as an adult and holy shit the animation and that stuff is uh 
atrocious. Just atrocious. Well, so, I mean, you're... I know, some things are best, best left alone, you know? You just move on. Uh, other yeah. than, like, I'm trying to think of, like, really good cartoons from when I was a kid. I mean, I'm, I'm not counting, like, Looney Tunes. Um, so what you're saying, though, is that, that that female remake of Ghostbusters is what really killed your childhood, right? Oh, man. How about that uh, new Ghostbusters movie? Doing it right by the fans and making everybody mad about, and then mm. making people say like what great work they did. And it's like, I heard, yeah. <laughs> oh man, I heard something about handing the franchise back to the fans. Yeah. And then I, uh, I did hear some alternative takes where people, I can't remember what it was, where it was some, some actual good filmmaker was talking about, he was like, yeah, people wanted us to hand the series back. He's like, that's when you know you're in trouble or something. I can't remember. It was some very good franchise. I don't remember, and this story is nothing, so I'm just going to end. Cool. Yep. Uh, I'm trying to think of, like, actually good cartoons from childhood that were, like, TV shows. A Batman oh, animated well. series, I think. like Batman was... animated series, and then uh, anything in the 90s when I grew up, like Hey Arnold, Angry Beavers, uh, Ah, Real Monsters. That shit's all top quality. Rocco's Modern Life. Yeah, that one too. Uh, Cat Dog. Um, all of them. All, all the 90s ones were the best. Yeah, uh, I've actually watched uh, Hey Arnold and Things of the Like, and they're quite good still. Hmm. Quite good. Yeah. Just take that, Jarrett. Unlike Power of Grayskull. Oh, it's fine. It's fine. No one. I, I like. I don't know if it like grew out of like their Netflix had that like episodes they did of like how like the, about toys, the toys we mm-hmm. played with or whatever, and that they did have like a He Man thing maybe. Um, I don't know if that just was like, mm. this is like a feature length version of that episode. I don't know. I didn't watch that thing either, but it had like Transformers and crap, which are like, and GI Joe, which are both toy franchises uh, that I missed by like a year or something. Oh, they were like already gone. And by the way, society, by the time I got to the, the age where you played of toys for boys. Uh. Uh, uh. How about though? Like I, I, we never brought it up, but like, so there's like that She-Ra cartoon that's like mm-hmm. out there and apparently there's some real like uh women hater types who are like are obsessed with the fact that like she-ra is drawn like not very femininely uh i don't know if you're who, fin- who cares because like, they're weirdos and it's like who i like who gives a fuck dudes you're not children mm. but they're they're very angry about these like politics uh impacting their lives like with everything online but uh yeah these Jared, people, people are, they're garbage people cares who cares exactly? Okay. Who cares? Reddit probably cares. Hey, RJ. What? Uh, got any news you want to touch on? Uh, the Oscars happened. Yeah, and you lost. You're a loser. Uh, yeah, I think I'm. Uh, I'm about done with the uh, the Oscar pool thing. You're out of touch. It's not that I'm. Well, probably. Y'all stop cribbing from Metacritic. I'm probably out of touch, and uh, yeah, that but that's a it's a good resource for things that clearly anyone who says that they know the like shorts, the animated short, the documentary short or any of that stuff. They're like, Oh yeah, I I knew that shit. I watched it. And then they guess it right. They're fucking lying. (laughs) They Googled it. That's what everybody does. So don't, don't fucking like, don't at you. Yeah. Don't at me. Like don't pretend like you, everyone out there isn't Googling that shit. But, uh, I don't know. It's just, I think this year really, really hammered down uh, how meaningless it all is. Oh, no, okay. Well, that's good. So what I'm going to say on that front, RJ, is that's, that's, that's the age you're at. 
Uh, I got to that age. Oh. Like, I think it's like okay. I think there comes. I, I've age, been like, feeling this for ten years since the Dark I, oh, Knight fiasco. So, so, so did I. I remember. I've been there. Dog. You're coming up now in thirty, and uh, you know you're gonna like you're you're finally getting worn down by the Oscar machine. But you mm. know what? We all bitch and we fucking hate them, and we go through phases. You know what? I think I'm done. This is the last year I do this shit. But we'll be back. February well, next year, talking I, this shit, but I, like your your level of like stake in it will lower over time. I, I promise. I don't you. think if I think uh, if you look at the Instagram posts I made on the creeps over the weekend, those pretty much completely summarize what we're both saying. Yeah. Because like, I'm still gonna watch. I'm still gonna be interested. Yeah. But it's like. Like this year too is like, what's the point of even doing an Oscar pool thing when uh, movies like Black Panther, fucking Bohemian Rhapsody, and Green Book just do a clean sweep of the Oscars? Where it's just like, really, really. It's. It, I think a couple weeks ago you were talking about that uh, that clip that was go- getting shared around when uh, Bohemian Rhapsody was nominated for best editing, and then it actually fucking won. And it's just like, are you? fucking kidding me I, so, I, I didn't I don't know what you're talking about what clip oh you weren't talking about that there, it was on Twitter or uh, a couple weeks ago some guy was like he's like uh, after the nominations came out um, the guy was just like I he's, I can't believe there's people in the world who legitimately like this movie and think that it has like good editing and it was it was just a minute clip showing the editing and it's honestly it's so fucking sporadic and all over the place it's like cut to one guy cut to the next guy cut to one guy cut cut to the next guy and it's not like it's not like that sharp edgy shit that i think you would expect it's just like really sloppy editing and uh, and then it won and it's pretty fun i maybe I'll, I'll try to find it and put it on the uh facebook or something but uh yeah i don't know and it seems like green book is getting uh just panned now that it won well so i think the big yeah. talk was how uncomfortable vigo mortensen was on 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 stage so because i think movie. he clearly was like i didn't think this was gonna win well yeah that's i feel like many like best picture winners like sometimes feel that way i didn't yeah. think this movie was gonna win and this is i think it was that movie where it's like oh Really? Oh. No one was prepared to go up there. They're like, who us? Yeah, that that's a good feeling. That's fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's a movie that I know nothing really about. I've never seen a trailer for it. I, I know more about the controversies around it, that like mm-hmm. a writer on it is an asshole or something. And uh, it's like, sure. oh, and it's like got very elementary views of race in America, which is something that America will never stop talking about ever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I am curious to see because it's like my Twitter feed was like filled with like all the film critics talking about how this is the worst best picture winner since Crash, which is the other movie that like fits that Mm -hmm. trope of like uh, a ridiculous view of race relations in America. Um, So, of course, they go there. Um, But then you go to like. Uh, tribute.ca and you look at movie reviews and like this movie the movie's got like five star rating and it's like 98% like fan audience likes it and uh, compared mm-hmm. to like the favorite which is like three out of five um, <laughs> and it's like well that tells you everything uh, one of the uh, guys I actually saw at the favorite he saw both movies and he was like yeah Green Book's like kind of like a crowd pleaser movie I'm not surprised it won it's not bad it's not offensive and uh, <laughs> I mean my letterbox is pretty well everyone hates that movie Mm-hmm. And I'm like, huh, I'm really excited to watch this thing at some point 
in the future because I have to watch it. But you do now. I do have to now. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I well, well, I'm gonna go in blind. Really, we'll see. And like, yeah, while this was while, while the Oscars were happening, I was playing D and D, and uh, I I kind of like would look down at my phone, see notifications from you complaining about things and being like, oh, mm-hmm. and uh, another friend was messaging me and I'm like, oh, things are going well, I see. And at one mm-hmm. point I was like really getting afraid that Bohemian Rhapsody was going to win. It, it honestly, it did look like it was going to. It was really close. It was, it won everything it was nominated for except Best Picture. That's crazy. <laughs> that is crazy. And Black Panther too, like Black Panther, Black Panther won fucking... Uh, production and over the favorite and costumes, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's absurd. And, uh, I guess they just don't like your ghost, but also the score in that movie sucks. Mm -hmm. It's so generic. Like I, Mm -hmm. you can't think of a more generic score. Like it's, it's, uh, not, uh, Seinfeld music, but it's, uh, like just the most boring ass music you could think of that you would set a movie to and it's like worse than that but don't but don't no no it's just like wow like i'm because i was what's his name the the rapper like who was like kendrick lamar so he's so so what the hell's up with that like so he he didn't go to the he was asked to go perform at the oscars he he said no but he didn't like do the score for that movie or anything well he made songs he made songs for it but like then they made this big deal but like yeah black panther and it's like this big linkage and like it's not though like it has its own score, and there's like little bits and pieces that I'm assuming are hit because I don't know what his music sounds like. But uh, I was like, it's this, rap, whatever the guy's Ludwig something or other. That guy though, fuck, that's, that's super unsettling. That, Did you that, see him? It's like this I've, guy I've was seen his, super seen his, long. Yeah, hair. yeah, I seen his letterbox picture, but uh, yeah, <laughs> it stinks that score. So yeah, Black Panther. There is nothing there for certified me. hit. Hey, yeah, certified slit shit. Um, but yeah, then. Favorite got one. Oh, uh, Olivia Coleman, yeah. For like the weirdest like category, considering there's three lead actresses in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, play a queen, so get your play a queen, get your Oscar. Mm-hmm. Well, the uh, um, Elton John biopics coming out next year by the same creative team, so I'm sure that'll just clean sweep the board too. Shit. Right. Right. Yep. Right. That's well, it. Jer- I, think, I think that's that. Yeah, that's uh, that's about it. After the break, we're going to pull vault into a big pile of bricks. Oh, time. Each day I live, I want to be a day to give. The best of me I'm only one But not alone My finest day Is yet unknown I broke my heart For every game To taste the sweet I face the pain I rise and fall
And we're back. This is the Criterion Creeps podcast, and tonight we're talking about Tokyo Olympiad from 1965, directed by Kon Ishikawa. The tagline of this film from uh, this wonderful poster that uh, many people have sent me in the last couple of days, the man's picture, every woman underlined will love. Uh, is that seriously the tagline? Uh, on the poster, yeah. What does that mean? It may just be the second greatest motion picture of our time. What's the first? It doesn't say. It it lets. It's definitely, but it's not saying it's the best. But they're saying it's the second. But it's the second. It's the second greatest. And laugh, cry, thrill. Wait, where are the laughs coming from? Did the person even watch this movie, or was that written for a different movie? I think it's from those turtle, uh, the the uh, turkey necks. The jowls? Yeah. Uh, I got some screen caps of the jowls. Sweet. Uh, you should send those to me because I didn't. Um, so, RJ, uh, a synopsis of this Tokyo Olympiad business. Mm-hmm. This impressionistic portrait of the 1964 Tokyo Summer Olympics pays as much attention to the crowds and workers as it does to the actual competitive events. Highlights include an epic pole vaulting match between West Germany and America and the final marathon race through Tokyo streets. Two athletes are highlighted, Ethiopian marathon runner Abib uh, Bikala, who receives his second gold medal, and runner Abamed Issa from Chad, representing a country younger than he is. That's the synopsis. Hmm. That's the synopsis for the yep. entire Olympics? Yep, that's that was it. Pretty, pretty hmm. lousy. So, RJ. Yes? It didn't dawn on me until sitting down to watch this on the weekend that the Summer Olympics next year are happening in Tokyo. That didn't dawn on you? What are you, Chud? Yeah. I knew about that immediately. I didn't even realize. I'm like, oh, that's next year. I didn't even... To be honest, I didn't even know what this was until I turned it on. I had no idea what Tokyo Olympiad was. I assumed it was the Olympics, but, uh, I mean, you never know. Well, RJ, it's the 1964 Summer Olympics. Really? In Tokyo. Which which Olympics is that? Does it give you a description of all the Olympics proceeding? I could find that information if I so chose because they do do that in the film. The intro. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It goes through all the summer Olympics, not discerning between that and the winter Olympics. Well, so when when did they split? I'm not sure, actually. You should look that up. Because this was, uh, yeah, I'll look it up. They were split at this point. Okay, because I noticed this was in October. I will get to that. I will get to that. You you, you do it. Hey, 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 slow down there, Hoss. You do your thing. Okay. So, RJ, first of all, some fun facts. Tokyo had been awarded the 1940 Summer Olympics, uh, but which they don't mention in the documentary, but this was subsequently passed to Helsinki because of Japan's invasion of China. Uh, and then the 19, oh. But then the Olympics was just like flat out canceled because World War II. Yep. Um, fun fact, RJ, uh, relevant to perhaps Joshua Frazier, mm-hmm. uh, this was the first time that South Africa was barred from taking part uh, in this Olympics due to the apartheid system in sports. Due uh, to the what? Uh, apartheid system. I'm unfamiliar with this. I think you might need to <laughs> explain it to me. Or, or is this because you don't know or just because? Yes. <laughs> I don't Whatever. Keep going. I don't care. 
You can look up South Africa and its history, RJ. Uh, okay. But but they were able to uh, compete in the Paralympics that happened at the same year, where they made their debut. Uh, okay. This was the first Olympic that was uh, telecast internationally rather than Ooh. by tapes. So mm-hmm. if you can imagine a, an era where like you're like filming the footage and then you're like, all right, get the tape on the boat or on the plane. We got to get it out there across the seas so people can watch the watch it on like delay of days. Um, mm-hmm. It's just like such a what a what a different world. 1964 still was. Uh, this was the first games to have a color telecast. It wasn't entirely in color, but there were segments being filmed that way. Mm-hmm. Um, the games were scheduled, RJ, for mid-October, because uh, I was watching some of this with uh, friends of mine. And uh, when the October thing hit, they were like, October? That Why so late? Um, Wait a minute. I got to stop you for a second. You watched a Criterion movie with friends? I did. I had. I found some. Uh, I, 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 but uh, it, it was a failure it didn't it didn't work out uh so i'm gonna go watch half of it but uh we did get through half of it there i am just i'm pretty stunned that uh you did this and uh, you never even thought to call me no (laughs) you know how i watch movies i would have came i would have livened up the scene a little bit for you Mm, that's what i'm afraid of Mm. So, RJ, the games were scheduled for mid-October to avoid Tokyo's midsummer heat and humidity uh, and the September typhoon season. Okay, so that makes a little bit of more sense. It looked cold. But, hey, Jared, I got some news for you. What? Did you know that it was 1894 when we had the first modern Summer Olympics? Wow. Did you also know that it wasn't until about 30 years later in 1924 that they included the Winter Olympics held in the same year, winter and summer, same year, until pretty recently, 1992. That's when they split. They offset. Yes. So uh, this is something I knew just offhand. Uh, I'm kind of a sports buff. Yeah. So, uh, (laughs) yeah, I didn't. I, I didn't look that up. Oh, right. so you must know uh, the medal count for Canada in the 1964 Olympics, being Three. a big sports buff. Three. Fourth? No. <laughs> what was it? Four. <laughs> oh, fuck. I was so close. Uh, yeah, he's pulling it out of your ass. Were they all bronze? No. Oh, shit. Well, what did we win in? Uh, one gold, two silver, and one bronze, I do What believe. was the gold for? I don't know. Cares. Fine, I'll look it up. You do. You, you go do that because this is this is what the Olympics are all about. And actually, uh, when you read up about this movie, there's like the people who are like really annoyed that this documentary does not have that information. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because it's like we're so trained to watch sports that this way, I guess that we like. Where's the mm-hmm. results? Where's the data? Did what's the record? Did they beat the record? All the metrics yeah. aren't there. Well, you want stats? Well. If we're talking, uh, so yeah, there's spoiler Canada shit in the bed because it's the mm-hmm. Summer Olympics. Um, yeah. The one thing that I don't think comes through very well, though, is uh, so, I mean, initially for the first hour, you're like, whoa, man, Japan, are they just like a wash? Are they like not going to like represent? Are they going to uh, not pull through as the home country? And actually, mm-hmm. RJ, they wound up third. Uh, who got first and second? Take a guess. America and Russia? Correct. <laughs> Oh, you are a sports buff. How surprising. So I don't know if you knew this, Jared, but uh, our four gold medals in the 1964 Olympics uh, are one one gold medal. One gold was for rowing men's coxless pair. 
so paired rowing. Okay. Uh, our silvers were in men, the men's 800 meter and then the men's over 80 kilogram. Oh, judo. Shit. Oh, okay. So that was judo. Um, and then the bronze was for athletics, men's 100 meter. Okay. I wonder if that judo was what we were watching then. No. No? No, that that was the uh, like catch weight, which is why there was the uh, six foot, okay. six, 285 pound Dutchman throwing around that Japanese man. Hey, uh, it might interest you to know that the guy who won silver for judo, Doug Rogers, he's still alive. He's 78. He lives in Vancouver and he was born on friend of the show's birthday, uh, January 26th. That's uh, Ryan Nagel for you trivia fans out wow. there. Yeah, you see that? Shit, son. You see that? Uh, so before we get to this film, but which mm-hmm. I'll just throw out there, I really like this. I thought this was really cool. A um, couple mm-hmm. things. So Yashinori Sakai, who lit the Olympic flame, uh, was born in Hiroshima on August 6, 1945, the day an atomic bomb was dropped on that city. Did he have uh, superpowers? So I, I'm laughing because it's like the day an atomic bomb was dropped on that city. Because mm. there's not that, there's only like two of those. So I guess N is sure. It's oh, it's, it's, I see. Uh, but he anyway, seems to be doing okay though. Seems seems to be doing okay. Uh, yeah, there's some. I think I saw something about uh, in the 2020 Olympics that uh, they're uh, making the torch out of aluminum from uh, the Fukushima disaster. Oh, yeah. okay. Radiation, like, eh? like instead of uh, the flame from Greece, it's gonna the flame will be lit off of the radiation waste. Mm, the green, <laughs> like uh, anyway. What was what is this? I, I don't know. We keep talking. Um. Oh, for uh, Oliver Granger, who mentioned this in our preamble, New Zealand's Peter Schnell won a gold medal in both the eight hundred meter and fifteen hundred meter. So I guess that's a big deal. Is it? Hey, Joe Frazier, future heavyweight champion of the world, won smoking a gold Joe. medal in heavyweight boxing. Was he smoking Joe Frazier? Uh, probably. Unless there's more, are there many? Are there many Joe Frazier's? Keep keep, keep uh, recalling this from all your like sports almanac knowledge. My sports almanac knowledge. Yeah. Well, smoking Joe Frazier is a real person. And he was a boxer, yes, and they did call him Smoking Joe. Good God. Do you know anything about the world, RJ? Do you? I brought it up. You always, I feel like you brought up Smoking Joe Frazier, but you're like, is he a real person? Did you know, Jared, that he was also born in January? Wow. A lot of people at this Olympics. Actually, there is a statistic where people who are born in, like, the start of the year are uh, have better athletic performance than people born later. Like in the same age group for like kids. I think it's just because they're older and all that stuff. But uh, anyways, what are we talking about? Movie Tri- or something? I'm, I'm trying to throw some trivia your way. Sure. Reigning world champion, Osamu Watanabe, capped off his career with a gold medal for Japan in freestyle wrestling, surrendering no points and retiring from competition as the only undefeated Olympic champion to date at a score of 189 to zero. That's uh, that's pretty insane. <laughs> What was he? What was his sport? Freestyle wrestling. He's like, there's that footage of him just riding that guy, that like Turkish looking man. Oh, he's just like yeah. all over top of that dude, just I'm, dominating. I think he was the inspiration for um, Barton Fink's wrestling scene. Oh, uh, maybe. 
Maybe. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Soviet gymnast Larissa Latniana won two gold medals, a silver medal, and two bronze medals. She had held the record for most Olympic medals at 18, which stood until broken by American swimmer Michael Phelps in 2012. Mm. That guy's a criminal. He smokes marijuana. Oh, You, you better watch out. Shit. It's not legal down the, there. The, the, the real uh, Aquaman? The real Aquaman. Aquabong, maybe. Yeah. And... Uh, British runner Ann Packer set a world record in becoming the surprise winner of the 800 meter, having never run the distance at international level before the games. She's the one woman that we see in this win that gold medal. Very uh, fetching lady. Oh, what do you mean by that? She's very attractive, RJ. Oh, Jarrett. Yeah. Jarrett. Let me see this Ann Packer. No, there's a really good, like there's like the one image of her standing on the um, podium. That's like, it's like, mm-hmm. wow, what a great shot that is. You're uh, you're creeping people out. That's the podcast. Hey, she's still alive. Yeah, but she was born in March, though. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You're getting into uh, into astrology or something there. Hey, what's your zodiac sign, Jared? Uh, it's between me and the Lord. Oh, Jared, I'm gonna look it so, up. So, what's your birthstone? A little a little back history on Tokyo Olympiad, RJ. So every Olympics since the first modern games in 1896, Summer Olympics had been committed to film to some extent or another, usually financed by the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, for reasons of posterity. For the 1964 Olympics, the Japanese government decided to finance their own film and initially hired Akira Kurosawa, who at the time was the most famous Japanese director worldwide, thanks to films such as Ikiru and Seven Samurai. However, Kurosawa's famous tendency for complete control, he demanded to not only direct the film, but the opening and closing ceremonies as well, led to his dismissal. Can you imagine? This led to the bringing in Mm. of uh, Ichikawa, who had a reputation of coming into productions where events hadn't followed the initial plans. Um, Fascinating. Uh, So, like, did he come back? Who? Kurosawa. No. Oh. They shit canned him. They shit canned him. He was too much trouble. What do you think he was doing? Well, you can see what movies he might have wound up making. No, I mean like for to be removed. Like what kind of trouble do you think he was getting Uh, into? He he was too much of an artist, I'm sure. And they were like, Mm. no, we don't want to go that way. Because, I mean, we we, we didn't start talking about the film now. Okay, well, before you do that, uh, Jarrett's Zodiac is a Leo. His birthstones are Peridot and Sardinix. And his birth flowers are gladiolus and poppies. Not a single thing you just said is accurate at all. Oh, is that? <laughs> no. At, oh, com, okay. Wait, com, you're the you're the next month. Oh my god. Okay. So uh, well, RJ RJ is looking at his sports almanac for this information. His birthstone's um, a sapphire, and his zodiac whew. is a Libra. Nope. Um, what the Virgo? Li- leave leave this to your mom, okay? Well, she would know these she, things. She would know. And look at you. You're, make, you're, you're a clown here. Typical so, Virgo behavior. RJ. Yeah. What's so, up? This film opens up with a brief history of time, Olympics time, giving yes. like a kind of a Cliff Notes version of the Summer Olympics as they go along. Skipping over mm-hmm. those years where it's like there was wars happening. And there's that time where Tokyo did have the, uh, the, the Olympics, but then they lost it because they invaded China. Uh, but we won't talk about that. Uh, and then you get the the footage of people running across continents, across Asia, uh, with the torch to bring it to the uh, opening ceremony and bring it into the big cauldron. Um, the white. 
the Olympic cauldron. I don't, I don't know what it's called. Oh, okay. The, the, the burning hole. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a good name for yeah, it, actually. The burning hole. The um, burning hole. And yeah, so then we get the um, all these people landing in uh, a modernizing Tokyo. So Tokyo, of course, uh, post-war, World War II, uh, occupied by America, and they're trying to like rebuild and also by taking on the Olympics, show, hey, we're a modern country and uh, we want to show, we want to flex. We want to show that, hey, Ooh. we're like, just like the rest of you people out there in other countries that mm-hmm. weren't in big wars. Um, and so you have all these people landing and you get that real 60s vibe. Everything's like really well designed and everything's new and neat. Because of all the old buildings were just knocked down by bulldozers, like in the opening frames of this, mm-hmm. uh, we get this like incredibly dramatic music over the whole film. Uh, sometimes like playing out like a horror film, sometimes playing out like a Bible theme, like or Bible epic. Apparently, Canada and the United States are made of cowboys, uh, as we see in the opening ceremony. Is sequence. that not true? Uh, I I don't I never thought about it, but I guess so. But Mexico, uh, not cowboys. What are they? Uh, just dudes walking around in suits. No, Sicarios? No no, 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 no. Yeah, Sicarios. No cowboy hats. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so I mean like the film is just like this elliptical footage of events uh, laid out over one another. Uh, you're getting into the events and it's kind of like cherry picking moments of like mm. athletes in competition. One of the things that I read a few times, uh, some hilarious YouTube comments uh, on one cut of this film, talking about like, why is this movie shot all in close up? <laughs> like, <laughs> this is moronic. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, yeah, no, I think that was intentional, but there's, well, it doesn't matter. It was stupid. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's like things like the clanging of flags and, mm-hmm. and, um, just like the weird, butt like close ups, butt close ups, and, and the mud, jowls close ups, yeah, and mud and mm-hmm. people like um, sh- like shot puts being popped out of the ground, yeah, and uh, just like mud and muck and water, um, people's faces, uh, people like watching things through binoculars, uh, just like the spaces that they're in, and uh, just like all these things were just like it's telling the story of this like sixteen days uh, that the events take place over, and just kind of like telling this sort of like non-linear story. Like there's periods where like, there's like a narration that goes on throughout the film, but it drops out completely. And it's just footage uh, for a long, long times mm-hmm. until you get to like another, Oh, here's an event that we're going to cover and just get to the drama of it. Uh, and, but it's very like, it's an artistic sports documentary. And I think like, uh, it wouldn't be much of a stretch to say that this is probably incredibly influential because uh, mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of sports documentaries now look like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and like kind of go for the similar vibe. But they're like, I mean, the, the vibe of a contemporary documentary is very different from this. Like this very much feels like a documentary from 1964. Um, and it's like trying to make like this, like, uh, like modernist art film out of a, this sporting event, uh, focusing on humans and like competitors and stuff like that. And like, uh, their struggle, I guess. And like, kind of like the, the, this notion of what the Olympics are supposed to be, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think this is like a really awesome documentary. I, I liked it quite a bit. Um, I had no expectations going into it. Um, I'll talk about it after maybe you uh, talk about how you thought about this movie, but I've got some, uh, some problems with, uh, the Olympics as a thing. 
Um, and I, uh, I don't really know why, though. It's like it's this wonderful thing where the whole world gets together and uh, in, tries in, to beat in, each other. Indeed. What's wrong with that? You, I, there's nothing. You, you there's opposed nothing, to a little there's, friendly competition, Jerry? I, I think uh, the scale that it tries to operate and the rules in which those things have to happen are uh, a little problematic, a little, mm. a little draconian, and the the, the way that people mm. bend over backwards to accommodate these things it's a uh, it's, it's got some well, pro- it's got some issues, and we'll, I, we'll, we'll we'll touch upon that, RJ. Okay. Okay, we'll get there, I guess. Yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'll uh, we'll probably have some back and forth on this. But hey, RJ, uh, uh, what what did you think of Tokyo Olympiad? Uh, I had no idea what this was at first, and I had no idea it was three hours. So when I th- when I found out, I was pretty upset to say the least. Yeah, uh, that I would be after I dumped five hours into uh, that TV movie this week. So I was like, three hours. Mm. Uh, but, uh, I actually thought it was pretty good too. Uh, I think you liked it more than I did, but, um, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was really impressive to be honest. Um, the footage that they have is, uh, really good. Um, like you said, there's all the close-ups and even some of the other shots, the way that they film things, uh, I was watching and I was like, man, this is artistic shit. Uh, like I think what you kind of mentioned, um, I think the, uh, the shot put uh, scene, and then uh, is it a hammer throw where the shot put ball is on a like a string or what is that called? Yeah, maybe not hammer throw. Uh, fuck, I don't know. But whatever. So shot put, and then the uh, whatever the shot put on a string is called. But those ones are really good because it's lots of close ups, and then uh, I think it's really good um, when you see the guy doing his warm up routine and he's just kind of like spinning the ball between both of his hands oh, yeah. and he's rubbing his hands on it. guy. Yeah. Rubbing his hands on a shirt and it, it's so long. It's like 10 minutes of him doing this, getting a feel for the shot put. Uh, and it's just a close up of his gut and his hands kind of like working the ball. Uh, I really like that. And then it also really shows like, uh, like a quiet intensity to the sport where they show you all of these things and then they show you all the throws, but then they wait until after they show you all the people throwing and then they show you all the shot puts landing at the same time, like just in unison or it's like one scene after another. Uh, and I thought that was edited and put together really nice. I was watching it. And I was like, yeah, this is a, this is a nice looking thing. Kind of like what you said. I think this is what people copy now but uh i thought that was uh really good the other thing um to go along with the impressive footage is i thought the musical selections uh for each sport were just bang on um the one i really liked was when they were playing jazz for the cyclists and like the weird uh like the the qualities that jazz has with these guys just on bikes and how it's kind of frantic and all over um, but all of the music I thought was paired, uh, really well with, uh, either the sport or the segment, whatever they were showing. Um, so I thought it was really put together, really well put together for those two reasons. Um, it's got some awesome close-ups of butts and jowls and things like that, which I've already mentioned. Um, I just looked at my note, uh, to go back to the sound. Uh, the sound design for the hurdles, I think, is like one of the most impressive things in this because it's almost like quiet 
to the point where like sound is leaving space, you know, like in movies sometimes where an explosion will go off and it'll be like, it's like the absence of sound. It's like that a little bit, but not as showy and pretentious. There's just like no sound until one of the ladies hits one of the hurdles Mm -hmm. and you just hear it like in full sound. It's like, so I think I thought the sound design there was cool. Yeah. This, the, that's the one thing that, the sound design of this movie. Cause like they obviously were just shooting the footage and then they put sound in afterwards. Cause there's times where like some of like the sound effects are like a bit ridiculous. Like the swooshies are so like, ex- like exaggerated that it's kind of like, mm. but at the same time, it's like, uh, it could be, should be chalked up to the version that we were watching as well, which is oh, like, sure. so, cause yeah. So fun fact. So this movie, uh, the DVD is like long out of print. Uh, right now, the only way to watch this version, uh, is via the 100 Years Olympics box set that is $400 retail and includes 53 films. And this is included in that. Um, and apparently it's a 4K restoration. That would be so, cool. What so, are the other films like? It's like, well, it's everything. Um, there's like one It's on, just literal like, footage. It's just like the these sort of documentaries that I think like, because there's like Lanny Reifenstahl's one for uh, the Berlin Olympics. Uh, then there's like the one, uh, there's like the 16 Days of Glory. That's during the Los Angeles one. Uh, I think there's one for like Salt Lake. Uh, Calgary might be in there too, which is Ooh. like, uh, which was the follow-up one for the, their, the 88 Winter Olympics. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, like every Olympics, there's some footage and someone compiled something. But I think this is the one that like is kind of held up with the, uh, the highest regard, this and the uh, Reifenstahl one. Just as so far what? as like uh, Lenny Reifenstahl, uh, her, oh, okay. her uh, whatever it's called, Olympia or something like that. Um, and this one's, I guess, less problematic because it's not directed mm-hmm. by Lenny Reifenstahl. But, I don't even know who that is. So. Oh, it's uh, she was a uh, uh, female photographer, filmmaker, documentarian uh, who lived in Germany and got to become the kind of like one of the filmmakers for the Nazis. Oh, sure. So yeah, there's like, Hey, work is work yeah, for a uh, struggling uh, filmmaker. So you, right? if, you're, if you're aware of the film triumph of the will. Oh, uh, sure. So she, she, uh, directed that. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So there's, uh, again, problematic. Sure. Uh, sure. Uh, so yeah, I thought that was real good. Uh, what else did I like? Um, I like seeing how night, I thought it was funny how, nice the japanese people were in this they seem so accommodating for everyone else uh just even the way they were like cleaning up stuff and i know that's just their job but i was like man look at how much they like try to help out each that's, other that's one of the great uh, uh i don't know if it's a cliche of japan <laughs> but it's like legendary for cleanliness yeah so i really like that and i mean I don't know if it's real or not. People, everyone assumes Canada is full of really nice people, but I meet assholes every day. So mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know. Maybe some of them even make podcasts. Some of them do. Yeah. Uh, I think the way that Beth showed it was again, it's like just the job, but uh, the preparations for the marathon at the end when they have the watering tray table and uh, the drinks are like organized with the runners n- numbers on them yeah. for like whatever their preference of drink is, which is, I'm guessing pretty standard fare, but uh, I was watching that. And I was like, oh, neat. Look at how they organized it. Some guys like orange juice. One guy's, I think, just drinking Coke. Uh, it was like thick black syrup. I was like, what the fuck? Is that guy just drinking pop? That's weird. Cane syrup. <laughs> yeah. 
and then like there's sponges that they're like putting on their heads mm-hmm. uh seeing the events was pretty fun like um the pole vaulting into just a, a huge <laughs> basket of garbage i think yeah. well like uh, it, when we were watching it it was like is that just like it looks like bricks and it's like <laughs> obviously they're not jumping into a pile of bricks and the sound isn't right but like the texture is brick like but it's like you know it's just like um i think rubber and packing or something like that that's just like dumping out into a pit and it's, it's like it's, it's garbage it's garbage it's and just garbage so you, that... ju- you jump wait 15 meters wherever the fuck they're jumping 15 yeah. feet and uh it's like oh into the pile of garbage um but yeah, and I, I really like that too because you, you see some of the funny things like uh, speed walking, the Olympic sport. or um, a strange one. The, one that I, the thing that I really like about it is back then there were still some plain people who could compete, like really regular folk and regular looking people. Well, it wasn't all like who, who finely have, tuned. Who have day jobs. Yeah, I think the best was in the marathon is like this guy is a mechanic. This guy is an accountant and they're running like, I don't know, what is it? two hours is 40 like 40 kilometers or something yeah is that a, dr- a gross exaggeration i don't know well i think i think the time for like the guy who won was like over just like two, over hours, two hours and 12 minutes or yeah and, and, and he was just running just running for two hours straight and then you're like oh yeah better get the stretchers out because they're <laughs> all on the cusp of like collapse and their feet are just completely destroyed and it's because like this is an era where okay one Shoe design, probably still a work in progress. What about like, the guys who weren't wearing shoes? And then there's the guys who weren't wearing shoes. Maybe they run better that way. Um, cement? God damn. Well, I mean. Not a lot of give on cement. So there's that. Um, but huh. then also, but like kind of like the whole like science of like training for this stuff to get your yeah. your records up and stuff like that. I mean, there's still like records that stand from like another era, but those are like probably not condition, but like, mm-hmm. tr- like just skill based. But like, there's like the races that you're like, yeah, it's all comes down to conditioning. Um, yeah. Well, that's what I mean. It's, it's fun well, seeing regular people. Yeah. Because well, they weren't like scientific yeah. created in a lab. Well, yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen that uh, image of like, there's like that photo book that the, somebody did where they took a photo of like all these Olympic athletes and just like demonstrating the range of bodies types that like, mm-hmm. these are like an example, like this is the gold medalist in swimming and this is what they physically look like. And this is what the person needs like, this is like, so you have like a woman that's like a gymnast beside a woman who's like the gold winner in shot put they have completely different bodies um like everything like their bodies geared toward success in that sport and there's certain people who are like yeah the person that's going to excel at that is the person who's got the body type that best encapsulates the muscle grouping that you need to do that let alone but also having the willpower and training and uh resources to be able to become exceptional at that thing what uh, body type do you think is best suited for the podcasting lifestyle? Uh, pear-shaped? <laughs> pear-shaped. See, I, I'm with you, but I, I think I identify mostly as a squash, like a, a spaghetti, spaghetti squash. Okay. It's, it's, it's like a pear, but it's more consistent with, the with, whole with, way. Uh, with beards? <laughs> Yeah, I feel like yeah. spaghetti squash are the hipster of yeah. the uh, the vegetable so world. Get a black marker, put that uh, beard on it. Put some, Why not? Some, yeah. Why not? Yeah. So um, anyway, continue. Or was I talking? Events. Uh, 
I don't know. That that's mostly the stuff that I really liked. Um, I really liked the slogan um, at 26 minutes, where it was faster, higher, stronger. Mm-hmm. I thought that was very inspirational. And then they released the birds. That, like, yeah, and that one guy around. like kicks a pigeon, which I thought was weird. Well, no, he was shooing it because he's like, yeah, get, he get. kicks that pigeon. Oh, I don't for know. sure. Uh, you, it's just, <laughs> you an exaggeration. He 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 Maybe shoot, you're an exaggeration. He shooed it because he's like, you're supposed to fly out of the building, you uncooperative bird. Uncooperative, huh? Yeah. yeah, he's not. He, it's not. He's not uh, following the uh, direction by the uh, designer of the opening ceremony. Maybe that's their fault. Maybe that's their fault. But uh, no, I don't know. Uh, I liked it quite a bit, to be honest. Yeah. I I, I think it's like, I think the, what is it, Canadian's representation in these events is like the collapsed Canadian woman who's just like face down (laughs) in the mud. And you're like, what event's that? I'm assuming it's like marathon, some sort of thing like that, like where it's like, and they just died. Because then there's like another, like shortly after, there's like another person who's just like dead Mm -hmm. on their feet. And you're like, what event is that? Ah, I don't know. It looked cool though. Being collapsed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I thought it looked cool. I don't know. Um but yeah, Listen like look cool. Me. There's like so part of the the joy I got out of like this film after the fact was uh uh so I'll talk about the cuts for this film and then I'll get mm-hmm. to that. So the cuts, deep so, cuts? The deep cuts. So 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 there's the version that we watched, the uh, Ishikawa cut, which is 170 minutes. Uh, there is the Japanese government cut, which is 93 minutes, because apparently they were not happy with the product that uh, Ishikawa delivered because it didn't celebrate Japan enough. Mm-hmm. So uh, they, they reduced it by half. Um, there is currently a version on the Olympics YouTube channel that runs 125 minutes with British voiceover narration. Um, and it looks like shit. Like, it's really crummy looking. What kind of shit? Um, RJ shit. Um, Excuse me. And there's also uh, uh, a cut called Sensation of the Century from 1966, which I believe uh, our poor listener, uh, Oliver Granger, wound up watching, uh, not realizing that he was watching a different movie. But there's, like, no mention of this even on the Wikipedia entry for Tokyo Olympiad. Uh, This is edited with the same footage uh, by two other directors, Hiroshi Maida and uh, Tetsuji uh, Yamagishi. And it's like 156 minutes. So it's still like short. I'm not sure what the big differences are. Uh, I think the, the the rip of that that's out there, it looks better than what we watched, which is like mm-hmm. very like fine. Like, I, I mean, I wouldn't go back to watch this in this version. I would wait to watch the uh, 4k restoration whenever that becomes available. Um, and yeah, cause mm-hmm. the, the full version is available uh, along with sensation of the century in that, uh, doorstop, uh, the Olympics collection that criterion put out a year or two ago. Gigantic goddamn. Oh, thing. that giant thing that we don't want to watch ever. Oh, I, I, I don't, well, I don't know how we would cover it, but, uh, so yeah, I was, I was kind of like, I just threw on the uh, YouTube version uh, the other day just to have it in the background, just to kind of get a comparison of like what the feel of it was. It seems like mm-hmm. kind of similar-ish, but obviously they're going to be cutting out like an hour out of it. But uh, the, I started reading the comments, and man, there's just people who are like, I really like the class of this era. The athletes don't have tattoos. Um <laughs> Which is like so. Yep. What does that mean? Well, they just they're classier, RJ, because tattoos aren't classy. Um, what are some cares? of the other ones? Oh, um, but like steroids, <laughs> which is like this is like right at that point though, where 
steroids are a thing just beginning to be the a thing and you can see that there's like those uh the russian and east germans that are competing in this like they're like winning these things and just blowing the records out of the water and you're like yeah but it's like that straight up like uh whatever anabolic steroids like no one's testing at this point they don't even know these this is a real a thing yet um Mm -hmm. but they haven't really figured out performance enhancing drugs which is like oh for like actual like it's extending your performance rather than just straight out strength so like those are like the ones you're like i need to throw this far and that will help Mm -hmm. you do that it's not like getting into the thing where like i can last longer and recover faster than everybody else we're not to that phase just yet but that that, that'll Mm -hmm. come in uh the next decade i i believe steroids rj they're fun are they i I don't know oh they're fun i thought you'd maybe have some input on that no I, i got nothing I thought you were uh, involved in that blood doping. Oh, yeah, using my uh, IV bag, swapping it out. Yep. Yeah. Well, isn't that what you were doing in the hospital last week? Oh, yeah. Hey, RJ, did you what? know, RJ, there's a Cary Grant movie set oh. during the Tokyo Olympics? Oh, for real? Yeah. And Did you uh, watch it? Uh, I watched most of it. I had it on. Oh. It, it's on YouTube. It's called... Yeah. Walk, Don't Run from 1966. It was shot during the Tokyo Olympics. Is it's, it about speed walking? No. It's oh. like a, it's like a wacky kind of like comedy thing. And mm-hmm. it's creepy character. It's his last movie. This this is the movie he made and then he retired. Um, it's a remake mm-hmm. of this movie called The More and Merrier, which is set during another Olympic. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It's like Harry Grant. He's like a rich industrialist who's like traveled to Japan on business during the olympics doesn't make any reservations but he's rich so people kind of like make uh airs for him uh but he's like i need a place to stay oh there's a room for let here at the embassy and then he like goes there and it's like this like young woman who's like put up a sign for you know another woman to be there and he's like no i'll live here and he like just literally pushes his way into the house and he says i'll live here it's so bizarre and you're like ah 1966 <laughs> a different era uh, and there's some good old fashioned, uh, like, oh, so sorry, Japanese men at the very beginning. And it's like, oh, wow. so sorry. And lots of, lots of, um, bowing. And it's just like sheer comedy because mm. 1966. Yep. Uh, I can't believe you it, did it. it. It can be missed, RJ. RJ. It's, uh, not so great. But, uh, another fun fact mm. for you, RJ. This movie, Tokyo Olympiad, it sold mm-hmm. 19.5 million tickets in Japan and held the record for the highest grossing film in Japan in terms of box office admissions for decades, up until it was surpassed by Miyazaki's Spirited Away in 2001. Oh. Yeah. Well, that's weird. Yeah. This, this was a big deal. Oh. But, but why, though? It's like a celebration of Japan and being Japanese, I guess. Did, I, you, did you think that also? Or watching it? Mm, yeah. No, I mean, I don't. I don't know. I'm not Japanese. It's not aimed at me. But there's like these weird things of like, well, the Japanese competitor she got fourth place, but she tried so hard. Like it's very uh, supportive of uh, their oh. competitors until the until they start getting into like the uh, the, the martial sports and then they start like winning judo which was the first year that it was introduced hmm. to uh, 
I think as much as I read something about that, but I don't even know if that's true. Because uh, that Geesink guy, that huge fucking Dutchman guy who, like, beats the shit out of that other man. Because um, he's, like, the size difference is, like, immense. He's, like, got 100, yeah. 100 pounds on him and, like, like a foot. And uh, he just t- tosses him. It's, like, what a what a proud man. And then I, of course, read about him, Anton Geesink, and uh, there's something about him, like, being involved in some, because uh, he was on the IOC, some, some corruption and graft and payoffs. <laughs> Corruption. Yeah, well, we can't talk about the Olympics without corruption, RJ. Hey, you ever uh, wonder what happens to those Olympic stadiums after the Olympics? Well, this one stuck around until they just bulldozed it to build a new one for the 2020 mm. Olympics. Yeah. Yeah, I could talk about that. So, Sure, why not? Tell us uh, why you, you hate sports. So why fuck the Olympics? Mm-hmm. So one, one example here, costs. Uh, yeah. the, the Oxford Olympic study established the outturn cost of the Tokyo 1964 Summer Olympics at uh, $282 million in 2015 dollars. This includes, mm. that's, that's, that's nothing. Uh, this includes sports-related costs only, that is, operational costs incurred by the organizing committee for the purpose of staging the games, expenditures for technology, transportation, workforce, administration, security, catering, ceremonies, and medical services, and direct capital costs incurred by the host city and country or private investors to build, e.g. the competition venues, the Olympic Village, International Broadcast Center, and Media and Press Center, which are required to host the games. Indirect capital costs are not included, such as for road, rail, airport infrastructure, or for hotel upgrades or other business investment incurred in preparation for the games, but not directly related to staging the games. The cost for Tokyo 1964 compares to the cost of $4.6 billion for Rio 2016, the $42.44 billion for Beijing 2008, and the $51 billion for Sochi uh, 2014, Mm. the most expensive in Olympics history. Uh, Average cost for summer games since 1960 is $5.2 billion. Mm. Um, So there's an article uh, you can look up out there, people, called Negative Impact of 1964 Olympics Profound by Robert Whitting uh, from Japan Times, uh, written October 24th, 2014. And I thought I'd share this one particular paragraph. Uh, The whole article just touches upon, like, what happens like, hey, when you have to like put in a bullet train, because they, they were just building bullet trains at this point in time mm-hmm. uh, that you can see in such films as High and Low. Uh, they're like, some, like they're, they make an extension and it has to cut across all this space that's like dominated by, you know, things that are there already. So they have to build over top of it and they have to build across water bodies, meaning that they're like disrupting water flows, disrupting fishing patterns, putting fishermen out of work. Uh, people who live in certain areas are being pushed out, uh, being like, Mm -hmm. uh, the polite, no, uh, way of Japan culture, which is like, we are going to get you out of this very politely and benignly, but like, we'll get what we need. Like, reading currently about like the massive increases in taxes in Japan right now to like help pay for the Olympics going from like over the last 15 years, it was like 5%. Now it, it was like, I think it went up to 8% and there's, there's talk in 2014 here. I don't know. I'm, I didn't go much deeper than that. I'll be going to 10% to help offset the price of doing the Olympics. Mm-hmm. But this art, this particular paragraph I think uh, is relevant, RJ. Finally, much has been made of stray dogs killed in Sochi, Russia, but there was also a massacre in Tokyo on a much greater scale. 
During World War II, the Japanese government had mercilessly slaughtered dogs, cats, and zoo animals in the name of food scarcity and disease prevention. Another sweep of strays was undertaken before the Tokyo Games, this time primarily for cosmetic reasons. In the 1940s, the unfortunate creatures had been rounded up, stuffed in canvas bags, and beaten to death with clubs. By 1964, however, a technologically more advanced method had been developed, using a contraption that suffocated animals with carbon dioxide. It resulted in the deaths of an estimated 200,000 cats and dogs in the year before the start of the Olympics. Oh, why? Because it doesn't look nice, RJ. We want to have a nice, clean sporting event and make people think that we live in a nice, clean, modernist world for our... So, yeah. Why? Why indeed? And this is like this is the one that I know would speak to you, but like because mm. like human human misery you're indifferent to in general. But yep. uh, so, but this is just an example of like the concessions that are made. And like I don't, I doubt mm. that the IOC is asking for people. Hey, can you take kill the dogs? Like I don't think they're yeah. asking that. But there's this perception of like, oh, we're going to put these places in like off to the side places. We're like, oh, hey, there's all these dogs. Well, we might as well start killing them now because they're inconvenient. <laughs> I don't get it, Jared. Well, sports, RJ, they're awesome. And the Olympics bring us together. So, okay, I've, I'm of two mm. minds. So I, I like this documentary. I, I really like, there's like the footage of like these people who are standing at the top of their sport. They've like just competed. Uh, they're the, they've just been like, hey, you're the best person alive right now based on the parameters of what the Olympics are. Um, you'd be probably be hard pressed. Like you're better than practically almost everybody like right now you just competed against like a handful of people who we've selected as the best people in the world. And you just became number one. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. That's like a fascinating, um, uh, worthwhile endeavor in itself. However, the scope of which these games have become in the like marketing and advertising money all involved with these games, like the sponsorship, like media rights, um, mm-hmm. everything about it is just vile. And like the fact that, we st- they still haven't really quite grasped the whole concept of like, hey, how do we catch cheats? Like they they still mm-hmm. don't know the whole like WADA stuff with like uh, Russia doping and stuff like that. It's it's hilarious because it's like yeah they got caught, but America's doing this shit too. Like they're, they're everyone's dirty and it's like it's all about winning and it's not about the sport. It's bullshit. It pisses me off. But like the the whole impact of like spending billions of dollars on this sporting event willingly mm-hmm. and like. The, then it's then they pick up and leave and they go away for four years and they move to another place. It's just like a <laughs> summoning a fucking eldritch horror being like, hooray, the monster's here. <laughs> and it's like, it, let's, it, let's do it. Let's get the sacrifice together. And it's like, why, yeah. why are we so excited about this horror? It does seem a lot more like a curse than anything else. Cause you just see like, it's like I said, the abandoned, uh, like stadiums and they're just overrun by like garbage and you're just like, Oh, so like these, these massive stadiums that they built. So there's like a few things that came along. Like, so Budokan, I believe was built for the purpose of the event. Uh, and Budokan's Mm. still around. It's a big like event. It's like kind of a historic thing. Uh, but like the, the actual giant stadium that we see in this, I don't know how much use it got after this. And they're like, yeah, Oh, in 2012, like, yeah, we're bulldozing it so we can build a new, more up-to-date space because Mm who, so RJ, Talking about the 2020 Olympics coming up here. Um, mm. So Japan, uh, when they put in their bid at uh, Buenos Aires, uh, whatever, 2014, mm-hmm. in their proposal, they were saying that 
July and August are great times for competition in sport with like with mild uh, summers. And it's like, that's obviously not true because in 1964, we knew that like Japan and like, I've listened to my fair share of like podcasts covering the G1, uh, the new Japan uh, wrestling tournament that mm-hmm. like, it is so goddamn hot there. And when you're in a building that isn't like, like remotely well air conditioned, it's brutal. Like it's so bad. The, hum- mm-hmm. the humidity and the temperatures are so hot. Like it's 30 degrees plus all the time. You're like, yeah, that's a great place to uh, have athletes go, I guess. <laughs> and so they're having to build this like, outfit this massive stadium with air conditioning to compensate and it's like how much is that going to cost and Mm -hmm. uh but it's like oh whatever we need to do this uh in the lead up to the 64 olympics there was people who were like challenging it or against it and they were like labeled like japanese propaganda style as just like traitors to the country um yeah and it's just like yep that's kind of like i don't know i feel like nowadays the society is kind of turning against the Olympics. Uh, we actually just had a, uh, a thing happening in Calgary because uh, back mm-hmm. in 88, they had the Olympics and it was like a great boon at the time. But now it's like the IOC is actually going around essentially begging countries and like cities to host their Olympics because nobody really wants them. They've kind of caught on to the fact that mm-hmm. the, the, the alleged benefits of doing it aren't really there. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's like, I'm so glad that we're not getting it. Like it, that's, it's fantastic. Um, yeah, it's great news for us. Yeah. I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't want that shit. Like it just means probably everything would wind up costing more money after the fact and, uh, mm-hmm. pass hard pass, hard pass. Well, you hate sports though. So I don't hate sports. I'm just indifferent. Yeah. Well, you hate sports though. So, you know, you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean, yeah. Jared? I hear you. Do you know what I mean, Jared? Um, what were we talking about again? Tokyo Olympiad. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think it's uh, quite a fine uh, documentary, if yeah. I'm being totally honest. Yeah. I liked it a great deal. It's very good. Good. Hey, RJ. Good, good. There's people, what? though. They're not fans. Uh, why? Well, let's let's find out. Uh, ben DeBono who is a repeat repeat at least a few times. Uh, I, I mm-hmm. believe that they might do a criterion podcast of some sort themselves. Uh, uh, two stars, the lowest rating for this film. I've been dreading this one for a while as I saw it getting closer and closer in my criterion watch through. Uh, it's not that I expected it to be bad. I just knew it wouldn't be for me. I absolutely hate the Olympics and do whatever I can to avoid watching them when they're on. So the prospect of a three hour documentary on the 1964 games was less than appealing. Still, Mm -hmm. I held out a bit of hope. It can't possibly be three hours of people running, jumping and occasionally swimming. Can it? Oh yes, it can. The Criterion essay claims, uh, which is written by George Plimpton, that part of the pleasure in the film is seeing how the games have changed. I'll have to take their word for it since there's no way I'm watching the modern Olympics to find out. Oh, I'm being snarky, but in fairness, at least they acknowledge their snarkiness. Yeah, that's Uh, true. This is a very well-made and beautifully shot film. I just happen to be the exact wrong audience for it. If the Olympics are your thing, you'll probably love this and more power to you. As for me, I can recognize the skill involved both in front of and behind the camera, but I'm afraid I'm more likely to win the 100-meter dash than I am to enjoy this sort of movie. 
Mm. I don't know. So, like, I mean, as RJ's been Fair saying, enough. I hate sports, but I mean, I love, I, I like sports documentaries. I love my thirty for thirties. I've got, all mm-hmm. the, I got all those box sets. Uh, I don't know. It's all about the presentations. There's like great stories that can be told out of it. Obviously, mm-hmm. um, do I tune into any one particular sport to like watch an event transpire over time? No. <laughs> like, but there's things like I have other things I'd rather do, I guess. But um, I don't know. Sports happen over there, and people are happy and getting into it good for them yep and this documentary i mean i it's like very much like a template of sports documentary that i enjoy so Mm. uh, i was into it i get the sporting aspect i get the tension and the drama it's inherent i thought this thing was uh very well put together and i think uh his review is fair fair enough yeah um yeah repeat offender favorite movies are a lot of the stuff that we watch and like a lot of criterions but they also gave la dolce vita five stars Hereditary five stars and Night of the Hunter five stars. Ooh. So uh, what are you going to do with that, Jared? Nothing. Robert they, Also, Fuller. The Descent one star. Mm. Very weird. Anyways, keep going about Robert Ro- Fuller. Robert Fuller, two and a half stars. Walking is an Olympic event. Yeah, there's no no need to get upset about it. No. I thought it was pretty funny, to be honest. Uh, Robert Fuller gave Crash five stars. The David Cronenberg uh, film. <laughs> No, no, oh. no. The uh, what is it? Paul Greengrass or whatever his name is. Oh, Paul. Paul Haggis. 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 Uh, yeah, they gave that five stars. Um, all the other five star ones are fine, but here's the real kicker, Jarrett. There's no kicker. Oh. I, I thought that I thought I would have something funny to hit you with, but uh, Stephen. Yeah. Three stars. So this, okay. barely, this is barely hate. Undeniably important as a document of the spectacle as a whole, the film is frustrating in its presentation of many of the events. Close cropping and zooming makes it impossible to appreciate the work of some of the athletes as the camera tries to follow their movements. Mm, And overall, there's a surprisingly workmanlike style on display. Weird. (laughs) The work. (laughs) Workmanlike. Fans of volleyball will be happy, though, because they're nigh on 10 minutes devoted to one match. Well, it's because it's like the gold medal game. Super intense. It's the first year, and it was like volleyball's a big deal in Japan. Mm -hmm. And they won in a tense final set, right? Yeah. Was that that whole person's review? Uh, and then they wrote, the excitement and grandeur of the occasion is captured well, and there's always something heartwarming and hopeful about the camaraderie uh, inspired by the participants. I really like that sequence, actually, too, because there's, like, the, the coach. The, yeah, the coach. Mm-hmm. Like, how he's, like, being very stoic, but, like, obviously incredibly emotional. It's, like, yeah. I, I think that was awesome. Because it's, like, yeah. Yeah, he wasn't, like, losing his shit. He's just sitting there and being, like, hmm. But he's, like, obviously should be, like, absolutely astounded and amazed that they, they just won. I thought the volleyball thing was uh, really good too because yeah. it's uh, there's some actual good tension there. You're like, oh shit, yeah. this is a close match. Yeah. Um, this Steven is a, a real flavor of the month basic B, Jarrett. Uh, all the five stars, like, so Avengers, Infinity War, Avengers, A Star is Born, First Reformed, First Man. These are all five stars, Jarrett, mm. by the way. Uh, what else we got on here? Thor Ragnarok. Um, Thor, the dark world, nobody's given that five stars. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's basic bitch territory here for these, uh, five star movies. Are you calling Steven a punk? Yeah. Every, every Marvel movie has five stars. The star Wars movies have five stars, like force awakens star Wars movies. I mean, so, uh, yeah, I'm calling Steven a punk. Wow. And, uh, hope to hear from you one day, Steven. 
yeah. Hope you're bring listening. it on. <laughs> bring it on, baby. Anyway. Anyways. Um, yeah. I don't know. Uh, I'm into this thing. I'm into this documentary. Yeah. Uh, I think people should definitely watch it. Uh, I am literally the first person to log this on Letterbox of my uh, network. Hey, uh, hey, hey. And then you're. What, a, what about me? And then you're number two. Like, uh, oh. and and the the guy I watched this with also. And that's it. We're the only people who watch this thing. So get out there, kids. Check it out. Kids, he says. The kids out there. It's good. Weird. Don't be afraid of sports just because you uh, like Criterion films. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, sports are good for you. Sure. You don't. You don't have to. No one's making you like. I don't know. Maybe people have been traumatized by those like shitty gym teachers. Yeah, yeah. A lot of them wear sweatpants. Oh man, don't even get me started on the 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 the, the dress of teachers. Especially like watching this, you see like oh like like during that opening ceremony how like immaculately mm-hmm. dressed people are and how like well dressed people are like even in the stands like mm-hmm. and then you uh watch nowadays just how people are just <laughs> fucking slobs hey jared I'll, I'll have you know that uh monday when i i reported to uh my first day work uh i was wearing uh, a button-up shirt a tie and black pants wow because i then, am a then, professional and then they went he'll learn yeah i did see uh i think three track pants sets of track pants that day oh yeah well, so. it's it's easier to hose the uh, child vomit off, I guess. Probably, yeah. probably. But uh, what are you gonna do after the break? We're going yes. to pole vault into your heart. To where? Your heart. By who? Their heart. Oh. Thought you were gonna do something more there. So no, I, was, I guess I was, I was trying to be sincere. Oh, I'm not into that, dude. Some dreams live on in time forever. Those dreams. your olympic event uh as always going to the toilet i'm pretty good at it um you can email us at criterion creeps at gmail.com uh-huh maybe give a little bit of effort since i'm not getting much here oh please what what did you want what did you want we got a Facebook page. We're on Instagram. Oh We're on Letterboxd. I'm Jared Duncan. He's Barnloaf. Mm. We're on YouTube. We have a Patreon. We're on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play. And over on that iTunes, uh, I feel like it's been a while since we got a review. So uh, go through the laborious steps of logging into your iTunes account to leave a review. If you do that kind of thing, that would be swell. They, they help, allegedly. 
and we'll give you a gold medal. I'll talk about you on the show. Yeah, there you go. Next week, Spine 156. Another documentary, RJ. Oh, for real? Yeah. Hearts and Minds, 1974, directed by Peter Davis. You know where no we're clue. Go- you know where we're going, RJ? Uh, to Arby's? The freaking uh, man. Oh, it's one of those, hey? Yeah, man. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, you don't know anything about the world, so this will be uh, all new to you. I know that things happen to people <laughs> in the world. Outstanding. I am a good person. Great. Yeah. Well, folks, uh, I don't know. Good night. Watch Apocalypse Now or something. That's a. Oh, that's is that a, what's it, what that, it's going to be? No, not quite. Oh, it's okay. not so artistic. It's a little grim, stark reality. Hmm. Like all the great documentaries are. Or something. Or something. Good night. Say. Bye. Um, that's my bird sound. Before you get kicked by that guy. Get off his field, bird. Who, me? Yeah, you. Yeah, that guy sucked. I don't know what his deal was. <laughs>